I'm so pleased to welcome um, James, who's going to share with us in just a moment. Um, he's come with his family, and apparently they don't always travel together. So first of all, um, well done. <laughs> They've come all the way from Manchester uh, to be with us. <laughs> and I don't know if we've invited anyone from that far north whilst I've been rector in this church. So now I was born way further than that in Northumberland in Ashington. So I just want to say you are so welcome. We're so excited. Our southern softies need a bit of fire and a bit of grit. So kick our butts this morning. Um, but we're so excited. Um, we, uh, I've got to say, um, in our early morning revival prayer group, um, Felicity, who leads it, was just pumping on the WhatsApp this stuff from Prayer Storm, just saying, you guys have got to check this out. And so uh, we just started checking out some of the stuff on YouTube, and these nutters pray way beyond 10 p.m., like way beyond. It's like normally after my cocoa and uh, tucked up in bedtime. Um, and then uh, about a year ago, Lou and I read James's book, Life on Fire, um, which comes with a health warning. I've got to say, listen, honestly, if you came looking for a sort of therapeutic, make my life feel better day, you've come to the wrong day. Honestly, this is like heart surgery uh, that we're going after. But hey, isn't that what we want? We want to have hearts that reflect the beauty and glory of Jesus. Um, and we read Life on Fire, and I just loved the call, which I think resonates with so much of what the Spirit of God's been saying to us, the call to holiness, purity, in a decadent, boundaryless culture, which is utterly lost, looking for Jesus. He was, he's calling a forerunning movement into a life set apart for God. Uh, and what he really carries is, is prayer. And I'm really praying today that, um, and this is the other reason we wanted to invite James uh, to come, was I think we, the Lord has done such a wonderful thing in us. We love to worship. We love to tell people about Jesus. We love to minister the kingdom. But I think Lou and I just reflecting, we love to just grow further and deeper and more powerful, more authoritative in prayer. And it seems to me that's just one of the key ingredients as you track how the church exploded through the book of Acts and as you track down through church history. And I, I just want to go further and deeper today. So can you just say over your own life, Lord, even if I don't understand or I don't connect or it's not where I've normally been, have your way today. Holy Spirit, teach us and take us in you. Take us to new places, we pray, in you. And may what we experience and grow in today and tomorrow, may it be a deposit which grows into deep, deep fruitfulness in our lives and in this church and far beyond, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So listen, I don't know if you want to bring Rebecca as well, or she's looking after the kids, but would you give your best West Sussex welcome to James the Ladder in? Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Well, can you hear me okay? Oh, great, this is on. Well, hello, everybody. <laughs> my son says hi. Well, it's good to be with you today. My first time here. Thank you, Reverend James. Lou. It's, it's, it's Reverend, right? <laughs> you know, I don't want to get it all right, the titles and all that. You know, uh, I think I've spoken at, like, Church of England churches over the years, but not many, and so... 
I don't know if there's a reason for that, but anyway, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> uh, and we had a nice time together last night. We had a nice meal, got to know each other a bit. And he said to me, be completely free. So I said to him, I said, well, if you've invited me, you kind of know what I am. And I mean, I generally expect that people who invite me somewhere get, have an idea of the type of person I am. And so I don't try to tone things down. I am who I am wherever I am. Uh, and I try to be true to what God has done in me. Uh, I don't try to change the message. I try to obviously listen to the Holy Spirit and see how it's relevant for the people I'm speaking to. So just out of interest, how many of you have never heard me before speak? All right, great, 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 great. So I need to warn you now. I'm smiling. It's because I'm actually happy. But there might be points where I might look intense. I'm not mad at you. Just know that. Uh, I'm serious, because sometimes people misunderstand the intensity of how I communicate and think I'm upset. I'm not mad. Sometimes just the passion for what God is wanting to do in the nation, you know, just overrides my emotions, and that's the best way to uh, communicate. You know, God uses your personality if you submit it to Him. Do you realize that? In fact, let's just start the teaching right now. Think about, think about this. Um, oftentimes, when we see certain people pray, maybe they pray so passionately, they pray so intensely, but oh, I want to pray like them. And there's nothing wrong with that, but when I look through the scripture, I see different personality types. For example, the way Elijah prayed is very different from the way Abraham prayed. Have you seen how Abraham kind of interceded for Sodom and Gomorrah and how he prayed and how he interceded with God? He almost felt like he was in this dialogue that was kind of like, you know, uh, you know what's it? Auction, give me 50, give me 40, give me... It was like this, that... But look at the way Elijah prayed on the mountaintop for rain to come. That wasn't a kind of give me 50 prayer. That was a crying out intense moment. Are you tracking with me? So God used Abraham's personality in the way he interceded. God used Elijah's personality. Guess what? God used Daniel's personality. God doesn't want you to get rid of your personality. He's given you your personality for a reason. But some people allow their spirituality to shut down their personality because they've subscribed to a version of religion that is not really what God intends for them. So they think prayer means they subscribe to this mode. Are you tracking with me? Whereas God just wants you to be you. So, uh, you know, I see lots of people that get very passionate about football. In fact, James asked me yesterday and said, you know, who do you support? Is it red or blue? I said, well, I'm too emotional to be involved in football. So, <laughs> so I'm going to save myself all of that, and I, I really don't bother. Now, if you want to know, I say I probably, you know, technically support this team, but I don't really, I don't even know what the names of the players are, because I don't want to be that invested in it. But I see lots of Believers, especially men, so invested in football with so much emotion, but then in the spiritual context, you can see that there's not the equivalent passion. So what I want to say to men like that is you're being fake. Why do I say you're being fake? Because the fact that you've got it in you to give your passion to football tells me you have it in you to give that level of passion to God. So why should football have it? And if you find it so much easier to express that in football and your spirituality does not have that level of fervor, 
you should question yourself. Like, what's going on with me? And if you don't question yourself, something is wrong with your growth in God. Because God should have all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Doesn't he say that? Love the Lord with all of your heart. You can't love the Lord with all of your heart and your emotions are disconnected. It's impossible. So the thing I should give most of my passion to above everything else is God. So God is actually wanting you to be yourself when you worship, when you pray, the way he's made you. Um, I have a, a blood brother. You know, he's older than me, so I'm, I'm one of five children, and my parents are missionaries. And so moved to the U.K. in 2001. Long story, my dad is from Nigeria. My mom is from Ghana. I was born in Liberia. I live in Manchester. My wife is from Stockport. <laughs> But Lungster, <laughs> what was that? I sound American. Sometimes some people say that too. So I'm just a mixture of all sorts. Now, the thing is, uh, my parents are missionaries, and so my heart has really been stirred uh, for the UK for, for many years. And I really do believe there's so much that the Lord wants to do in the United Kingdom. Uh, and that's why people like me, He's sending us back uh, to this land. And one of the things that the Lord has been stirring in our hearts is the message of prayer and intercession. And so I want to journey with you today and lay some foundations on that. But as I started, I was saying, God wants you to be you when you pray. So when you see people like me pray, which we're going to spend some, we've got, we've got three hours together, so that's quite a, some time. When we spend some time praying and doing all that, I want, I want everything that God has placed in you to be unlocked, that you become who He's really called you to be. He wants to look at you and see you as He created you to be, not you know, blocked up and held down with all these lies and deceptions and all these other things kind of, kind of holding you captive. Um, so my parents came over as a missionary, uh, missionaries to the, to the UK in 2001. And in 2007, I, I graduated from university and then uh, I started working in ministry with a ministry that some of you may know called the Message Trust. And so I worked there as the prayer coordinator uh, for seven years. Uh, and while I was working there was when Prayer Storm, the ministry I lead now, started. So Prayer Storm is not a church. It's a ministry. We do things like this, training, equipping, but we do lots of events in Manchester. And our heart is to be a catalyst for the body of Christ in prayer and intercession. So if you've come here today, you're feeling like, oh, I feel like I don't get this prayer thing. My prayer life is very weak. I feel disconnected. My desire is that by the end of these hours we have together, you feel equipped. You feel envisioned. You feel uh, just stirred to pursue a deeper life in prayer. Because uh, I want to say this boldly to you. Every great move of God is preceded by a great move of prayer. There are no shortcuts to the moves of God. And, you know, as believers in the 21st century, everything is so quick, microwave, fast-paced, that, you know, we think spirituality and growing deep in God and seeing some of the promises of God fulfilled, sometimes they can happen quickly, but oftentimes there's a lot of investment of years and time and depth. Uh, and uh, for many people, they don't like that process because that process is not often exciting. As we'd explore, you know, uh, you see that the process of seeking God, it is exciting to pursue God, but when you're going through the, mecha the mechanics of it, you have to realize some of the barriers and some of the hindrances that many of us experience and think, therefore, God is far away, or therefore, I am not a person of prayer, or therefore, this is not for me, it's for the lady at the back of the church that loves to pray. All of those myths, we're going to destroy them today. There is no such thing as a gift of prayer. 
If you've said that before, let this be the last day you ever say it. <laughs> there is no such thing in the whole of Scripture as a gift of prayer. Every single one of us is called to the ministry of prayer and intercession. It's not for special spiritual people that know how to do it, and then you don't know how to do it. In fact, I want to say this. You were built with a, pray, with a prayer machine in your DNA. What do I mean by that? Because Jesus himself says in Luke 18, man ought always to pray. That was his declaration. And when he said that, it wasn't just a statement that was just empty. He was actually declaring God's original intent when he created mankind. Man ought always to pray. This microphone right here on my, you know, my face, right? By the way, as a side note, um, whenever I speak in places, ask them if they have a black one. <laughs> <laughs> Because they all have the white ones. I'm like, I want the black one, please. <laughs> no, no, but I'm okay with this too, you know. My wife is white. I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, okay. So, in fact, my wife calls me a chocolate. She says, you're black on the outside, but white on the inside. <laughs> and the funny thing about marriage is, I end up speaking in all the white churches, and she ends up ministering in all the black churches. I don't know how that works. Okay, where was I? Where was I? I lost my train of thought. Where was I? Someone help me out. Yeah, so this microphone on my, on my cheek right here ought always to pick up the sound from my mouth and transmit it to the receiver at the back there and amplify it. It was built to pick up sound. So it ought always to pick up sound and transmit it through this receiver on my belt pack. Are you with me? Yes. That's a statement of what the uh, original designer intended for it. It ought always to pick up sound. So, hey, man ought always to pray, because God built it in us to pray. If you don't pray, and if it's not a lifestyle, as far as God's concerned, you're malfunctioning. If this microphone is not picking up sound from my mouth, and it's not doing what it ought to do, guess what? It's malfunctioning. It's not functioning according to the designer's intent. You were built to be in communion. You were built to be in relationship. There are no shortcuts to relationship. You have to invest a whole lot of time in it. It doesn't come cheap. Yes, he paid the price. He made the way. He died on the cross. I believe that. I am a, I'm a believer. I believe in everything that many of us would believe, the traditional Christian values. Yes, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He didn't just die for you, he also died to show you how to die yourself. That's why he calls us to pick up our cross. And the path of prayer is one of the places where you get to die. That's why sometimes you don't like it, because no one likes dying. Uh, was it Leonard Hemingway that says, uh, the pulpit can be a shop window to display our talents, but the prayer closet allows no showing off. So when you get alone with God, you get to really see where you... You know, when you go to the shopping mall and you look on the map and it says you're here, you, you see where you are on the map. Prayer is one of those spiritual activities that helps you discern where you are in your walk with God. And because of the awkwardness, 
which I hope at some point we're going to deal with some of that. The awkwardness and the resistance we often feel. Many people back away from the realities of, of prayer and, and journeying into God and pushing past all these uh, things, all this resistance. So uh, just a way of introduction, I want you to understand that I am not like an expert that understands everything. I've just been on a journey, and I know enough to understand that the church, how many of you know the phrase uh, unreached people groups? It's kind of a phrase that we use in the mission world of there's certain groups of, uh, you know, ethnic groups in the world that are unreached people groups. In other words, they've never heard the gospel before, you know. And so we use that phrase to refer to a group of people that need to hear the gospel that have never heard it. Now, as I've journeyed in prayer over the years, I realize the body of Christ at large, especially in the West, let's use the UK. In the UK, the body of Christ at large is an unreached people group as far as the message of prayer is concerned. We understand it theologically, but in reality, it's not there. And so we're not able to maximize the potential. We're not able to maximize everything that God has for us. So again, I'm still introducing this you know, uh, session. Um, my journey in prayer did not start out as though I was just born loving prayer, enjoying it. And I'm saying this to encourage those of you in this room that may be where I was, in a place where you find prayer difficult, you find it boring, you think it's for someone else and not for you. Because I grew up in a family where we prayed pretty much all the time together. My mom will organize these times together in the mornings and, you know, you know five children. I'm, in the, I'm, I'm uh, one of the uh, children in the mid... I just remember something I forgot. I was saying that I lost my train of thought on. Okay, I'll come back to that. Because I was saying I was, there's five of us and I've got a, 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 a brother who's similar to... Uh, it's different to me, but I'll come to that story in a second. My brother, just put that over here. <laughs> my mom would organize these prayer times for us in the morning, and what she would do is she would get us all to pray one after the other. And I remember as a, as a child, just, you know, maybe eight, nine years old, seven years old, having those times, and she would make sure every single person prayed. Like, it wasn't one of those prayer meetings where you could not pray. As in, it's like, okay, James, your turn now. You know, and then your turn now. And then it's like, oh, Lord, not again. And then, you know, so I, I didn't really understand. I didn't really get it. I didn't really want to do it. But because of being submitted to my parents' authority, I did it. And I don't think I really understood what God was doing in me at that time. But there was something I couldn't shake off, and it was this. Many times I'll go into my mom's room uh, to maybe speak to her or ask her for something. And many times this happened. I'll find her on her knees praying. And it felt like there was such a holy presence in the space that I knew I shouldn't disturb at all. So I'll step into room and see her praying, and I'll just quietly walk back out. And this happened many times. Now, if you're really serious about God, there's something that happens to you. When you see someone doing something you're supposed to be doing that you're not doing, that convicts you about doing it. <laughs> Am I making sense? <laughs> Even though I didn't really understand this prayer thing, I couldn't shake off the conviction, even though I didn't know it was conviction, I felt a certain way when I saw her praying. And that was God planting the seeds. And the lesson we need to learn from this is, as parents, we need to be the example to our children. They may seem like they're not getting it, but we have to live this out in front of them. As grandparents, live this out in front of them. Get them to join you in the prayer meeting. Live it out in front of them. Let it not just be something they hear at church. Let them sit at home. In fact, I like to put it this way. If your Christianity is not working at home, don't bother exporting it. 
if your, your version of Christianity is not impacting your marriage, it's not impacting your parenting, it's not impacting the way you spend money, if your version of Christianity is not Im impacting your home, don't bother exporting it. And right here, I've got my son in front of me. Justice? <laughs> oh, Justice is going out. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> so, living out your faith at home can be quite challenging. You see Justice right there. He's kind of like very animated and intense and sometimes a challenge to manage. And so there are times where I'm praying. He comes in the room. This happened maybe some months ago now. And... It's like, Dad, I want to play my video games. I'm like, no, you're not playing your video games right now because Daddy's having some time to pray, and you know that. I said, well, Dad, can you play my video games with me? Okay, well, let's have a deal. I'm going to play your video games with you later if you pray with me right now. So he sat with me, and we prayed. He prayed in tongues with me for about 45 minutes. Now, that's a miracle for the level of um, distraction that he tends to function in generally. <laughs> you know, so... and. It wasn't just praying in tongues. It was also praying his understanding, doing something similar to what I do, praying in tongues sometimes, and then release declarations in my understanding. So I realized this is how you disciple your children, by living it out at home. So I need to make sure my version of Christianity and what I've subscribed to is impacting the way I live in the home. So my mom was an example of that, and I realized years later that her life of prayer was God stirring me to give myself to prayer. And over time, I started to have my own encounters with God. Things started to change in me, and I realized that this is, there was nowhere else, but there was no way, there was no other way for me to live. I had to live as a person of prayer. So I started fasting. I started praying. I started spending hours and hours seeking God as a university student, not because I was seeking a ministry. By the way, my parents are in ministry, so I, I didn't crave platforms. I don't know how to explain that, because I've seen many people who become Christians, and their goal is to be on a platform preaching. That wasn't my goal. In fact, I didn't want to do this. It wasn't in my heart at all. I remember hearing a prophetic word from a guy saying to me, oh, you're going to be a preacher. And I said in my heart to God, Lord, why would you do this to me? <laughs> Just to communicate to you that I did not have an ambition to do this. Okay, so I was pressing into God in prayer and fasting, not for anointing, not for ministry, but I just wanted to know God deeper. So prayer became just a way to journey into God, which really I'm going to teach on in a few moments. This is still the intro. <laughs> so, so my mom became the inspiration in many ways. God used her to plant that seed in me. Now, back to the story about my brother. Remember I said my brother put it over here? Because the reason why I brought up my brother earlier was because my brother has a completely different personality to me. Now, I don't know if there's anyone like this in this room, but when my brother is mad, his face is like this. When he's extremely excited, his face is like this. <laughs> when he's extremely disappointed, this is how he looks. So... <laughs> Mad, glad, sad, same tone of voice. <laughs> okay, so that is not me. <laughs> so if he is in worship, in prayer, and his level of expressing intensity matches his personality, that's good. Because that's, that's him. On the other hand, I am like the Elijah type person. So 
I am not going to be calm all the time. I appreciate the calm type prayer, and I do that too. But the moments where that vicious, intense kind of, you know, passion comes out, and I'm not going to try to bottle it down. I'm going to release that. And I, in fact, I find ventilation in the place of prayer when I release that. And many of you have that dimension in you, but you shut it down because of culture or your idea of what it means to be spiritual. And God wants you to realize that He's put that in you, and He wants to use that for advancing His kingdom. And if you understand I mean, the aspects of our nature that needs redeeming and needs, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit. I understand that, but I'm talking about the purity of the personality that God has put in you. The aspects of that that's necessary for advancing His kingdom. Are, are you tracking with me? So this is so important to understand. So now having said that, I want to make this declaration. It's connected to what I felt when I came in this room uh, before we go into the teaching today. Um, as I came into this place... I've, and I was feeling this this morning when I was praying, uh, just having my time with the Lord. I, I really felt it's like uh, you're sitting on a pot of gold. And maybe you've been digging for a while, but you're about to strike something. And the, the, the point is, though, you have to keep digging. And there is a culture that I believe the Lord wants to almost establish and sustain in this place such that as you keep digging and you strike that gold, which I believe is like the move of God, you're going to have the structures, the systems, the fortitude to sustain what God is going to do. And I feel like God has brought me here to add a piece to what He's already been doing in this place. There is a move of God, I feel, in my heart that you as a community are called to host. And it's not going to be a one-man show. It's going to be a whole church arising with a level of depth and authority and authenticity and um, a, a spiritual stamina that anyone can come into this church at random, and pick anyone at random and they'll get the same culture, the same intensity, the same quality of spirituality and devotion and consecration. And when I stepped into this place, I was just struck by the significance of what God is doing here. I feel like He sent me here to almost add fire to that which is doing, but not just fire, but you know, the fireplace, it's, it, you know, um, we've got an electric fire at home, and thank God for that, but when you have an actual fire in your living room, it needs to be confined. There's limit. There's the structure around it to not make it burn the whole house down. <laughs> so there's fire that God is wanting to release in this place, and I feel like He's putting structures in place so that the fire would have its maximum impact without causing destruction. Are you with me? Let me just pray into that. Father, thank you so much for this congregation and the other congregations even represented here, even those that are not connected with, with, uh, with these churches here. Father, I thank you that there's something significant that you're doing in this region. This land is special. It's like there's been so much that's been sown into this land. And Father, as we journey into this day in teaching, in prayer, I ask that, Lord, you would uh, continue to bring revelation that would lead to transformation, that would enable this community and even other communities connected to this prophetic word of revival in this region to be able to host 
the move of God that you are wanting to release here. So, Lord, I pray that uh, everything that needs to be shaken will be shaken. I pray that, Father, the mountain will be removed, the valleys will be filled, and the crooked path will be made straight, a way prepared for you to come. Father, I sense in my heart there is a move of your Spirit that's coming to this region that's connected to what you're doing across the United Kingdom. And there's certain locations in the United Kingdom that are almost assigned by heaven to host something that would have such a national impact. And this is one of those regions, Father. So, Lord, let it be unto us according to your word, and let there be systems and structures put in place to host the move of heaven. So we want you, Jesus. Just declare that to the Lord. Say, Lord, we want you. We want what you want. Make me everything you've called me to be, to host what you want to do. Father, rearrange my priorities. Rearrange my, my desires to begin to have the desires of heaven, to begin to be in a place that you can entrust me with that which you want to release in the earth. Father, we say yes and amen to that. James and Lou, I just believe there's something in your hearts that will not settle. Will not settle until you begin to see the explosions of God. And thank God for how far He's brought you in your leadership. But I want to say there are still greater things that the Lord wants to do. And you know that, even from our conversation yesterday. But the unease and the Seeming frustration is an invitation that's going to pull you into those new things that you know as a church you need to step into. It's like sometimes, you know, hunger is a gift in a sense. It's like hunger is a sign that you're healthy. When you lose your appetite, you know something is wrong. Don't you think the same is true spiritually? When you lose your spiritual appetite, many people have lost their spiritual appetite. They're going to church. They're singing songs, but there's no hunger. And they don't realize they're spiritually sick until some big issue comes up. Maybe they fall into immorality, they fall into sin, they fall in, and like, oh, how did I get here? Well, you lost your spiritual appetite months and years ago, and you never knew it. And if you can sense you're losing your spiritual appetite, you need to admit yourself into the intensive care unit of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> get the Holy Ghost drip and put it in you. You know what that means? Prayer. You know what that means? Fasting. You know what that means? Time alone with God. Turn off the TV, the Instagram, the Facebook, the grandkids, all the distractions. <laughs> Get, because you need, you need to be revived. You need special attention. And the sooner you get yourself to that place, the better it is for you. Because the Holy Spirit can start to revive your heart, work on you. But it's sad that many believers don't know they're spiritually sick. Their desires for God, very low. Going through the motions, and God is wanting to awaken them. So, okay, I've been rambling. Now we're going to go to some scripture. Well, I've not really been rambling, but anyway. First Corinthians 3. We're going to start here. Uh, as I said, I want us to lay some foundations uh, for prayer and give a bit of perspective for sustained prayer. For many believers, prayer is like a, a chore, but not just that, it's just up and down. 
it's not consistent. If you're going to, I'm not, uh, you know, an engineer, I'm none of that, but I understand uh, enough about buildings to know that the type of foundation you lay is important to the sort of structure you're able to build based on the foundation you lay. So the foundation for a skyscraper is probably different to the foundation for a building like this. And so if we're thinking longevity, we're in this marathon. It's not a 100-meter sprint. It's a marathon. So five years from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, if we're truly walking with God, we should be more in love with God than we are right now. Are you tracking with me? We need to think long term. So I'm not just here to help us kind of get excited for the moment. Many believers go to conferences like these or even festivals and get excited, but it only lasts for a week or two weeks. The fact that you've caught fire is great. It's one thing to get on fire. It's another thing to maintain that fire. It takes effort to do that. So what I want to communicate is foundations that enable us to be in this for the long haul. So I've been leading prayer storms since 2009. That's a lot of years. And I am still even more so pressing in than ever for God's move in this nation and for God's move in the body of Christ in terms of an awakening of a spirit of prayer and intercession with fasting. How is it that all these years, even though we've seen pockets of moves, but we haven't seen great explosions like I'm desiring, how is it that I'm not burnt out and I'm still on fire? And by the way, I have prayers in my life right now that are seemingly unanswered. So any moment from now, I could step into depression if I wanted to. (laughs) Because I'm getting to focus on, oh, yeah, God, you haven't done this. I mean, one of the hang-ups lots of people have with prayers, oh, I pray this has not happened. Do you think I've got all my prayers answered to, in quotes? But how is it that I'm staying fervent in the midst of areas that I don't understand? It's because I have the right foundations. When your foundations are wrong, and when you don't have the right perspective of who God is to you and who you are to Him, things like unanswered prayer, end quote, or things that you pray for, you haven't seen a breakthrough in, you pray for someone, they died, and you believe for this didn't happen, and you can fill in the blanks. Those things can shipwreck your faith. If your foundations are wrong. Now, we're going to read Corinthians in a few moments, but I want you to think about the three Hebrew boys. Their testimony is a challenge to our version of Christianity today. Because they had the sort of foundation that enabled them to face trials with an unusual perspective. They had three dimensions of faith. One, they said, God is able to deliver us. They declared it. God, we know you can do this. See, that's the easy part. Every Christian, every true believer can say, God, we know you're able. You split the Red Sea. You raise the dead. Lord, we know you're able. You're all powerful. That's the easy part. But then they took you to the next step. They said, you're not just able. You will deliver us. (laughs) So they didn't just make a general declaration. They made their personal application that God was going to deliver them. That's second level. The third level is the bit that many of us don't get to. In their believing that God is able, in their believing that God will, they made a provision for God not delivering them. And this is what they said. Even if he doesn't deliver us from this fiery furnace, they said we will not bow. Do you know what that means for them to make that declaration? In their journey with God, they had enough of a deep foundation 
to make up, uh, uh, they had enough of a deep foundation such that in their minds, if the scenario showed up such that God did not deliver them from the fire, they had settled in their heart that if that was what ended up happening, they would still not bow. So they made provision in their faith for God not showing up. And in that scenario, they, their faith didn't fail them. Do you understand how deep that is? The devil does not know what to do with people like that. Because, they, well, God can heal. God will heal. But even if I don't see it, I am still not backing down. Many Christians haven't made that level of faith yet. The reason why they could make such a declaration is because they had a strong foundation in their understanding of who God was. So I'm coming back to say we want to lay some foundations that's going to help us to still keep pressing into God and seeking Him regardless of personal circumstances around our lives. Life is going to get challenging. Our life may get easy. You may feel breakthroughs. Breakthroughs may happen here and there. Praise God for that. But even if that's not the case, God is still moving, and your prayers are still powerful. How many heard about the Hebrides revival? Do you know it was a blind lady and a lady with arthritis? I think they were in the 80s that prayed that revival into manifestation. On one hand, she's got sickness in her. And by the way, let me, let me, I believe God wants to heal. Let me just say that. I'm not here telling you, oh, God doesn't want to heal you, he just wants to remain sick. But the point I'm trying to make is, in the midst of contending for things in prayer, when we're not seeing the answers, many people shut down. The lady with arthritis and the lady who were blind were able to push in prayer. Now, we don't know about them getting physically healed, but they birthed a move of God that impacted the whole island and the nations of the world. How about if they just got discouraged and said, you know what, God, I feel there's some of you in here, you're battling discouragement. How about if they, God, you didn't answer that prayer, so I guess you don't answer any prayers anymore. The, 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 the things that I put in the mystery category in my life, where I'm like, okay, Lord, I need some revelation about what's going on there, but I know you're also moving over here. So I'm not going to focus on this and end up in depression, trying to understand why. Asking why something is happening is not wrong. It's all about where you're asking it from. If you're asking it from offense, you're never going to grow in faith. But if you're asking it from trust, it's a healthy thing. Say, okay, Lord, I don't understand this. I trust you, and I'm asking for insight to help me be more effective in serving you, loving you. If you're asking from trust, you're opening up yourself for revelation, which would only build your faith. But many people get to a place of offense with God. So you have to get rid of that offense. You know what? Before we go on, let's do that right now. I know we haven't read that scripture yet, but I just don't want to, I, I don't want to rush this. I, I want to I almost, let's, let's do this in stages. <laughs> let's not wait till the end and then we do everything. So how many of you in this room are dealing with discouragement and feel offended at God? Be bold and put your hand up. Okay, that's good. That's good. Don't be embarrassed. I've been there. I'm not there right now, but I can step into that if I choose to focus on it right now. So just keep your hands up, okay? I want us to pray over you right now. Those of you around them, just turn to them if you can, okay? Just pray with them right now. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask that the Holy Spirit will begin to minister to you in such a way that your perspectives begin to shift. 
I am not saying God doesn't answer prayer, because I've got tons of stories of answered prayer. But I know when we're going to talk about journey in prayer, journey in, in God and in prayer, one of the big obstacles is disappointment, discouragement, and a sense of God not hearing us. And the fact that we've been praying for this person for so long, nothing has shifted. And, and all that stuff, I don't have all the answers. I have some revelation as to what happens in some of those scenarios, but I don't have all the answers. But one thing I know is God wants to change your perspective. He wants to shift that. So with uh, those hands up and making sure that everyone has someone praying for them right now, let's pray into that before I move on in this teaching. Father, we come before you right now acknowledging that you know best, acknowledging that there's so many things we have no idea about what's truly going on. And Father, right now, we want to offer discouragement. We want to offer offense. We want to offer all the things that weigh us down in our journey with you. We bring it before you right now, God. We say, let the weight be lifted in Jesus' name. Let the discouragement be lifted right now in Jesus' name. You give us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that which has come as a result of negative circumstances that's weighing us down. Father, we take off those garments and we receive your garment of praise now that brings about a fresh perspective right now. Holy Ghost, you're the surgeon. You're, you're so deep in areas where you can, you can reach deep down into our hearts in places where no human can. I'm asking Holy Spirit right now that you would go deep down into areas of our hearts that are wounded, that are broken, that are offended, that are distracted, that are deceived, and begin to bring the ministry of healing. Begin to bring perspective. Begin to bring order. Those of you being prayed for, I want you to just, in your own words, you don't have to be loud, but be honest with God. Just say, Lord, I release this to you. You know, and don't say it if you don't mean it. You have to release it out of a place of trust. Say, Lord, I release, it might be a situation, Lord, I release this person to you. Lord, I release this health condition to you. Lord, I surrender this situation, my children to you, my finances, my whatever, fill in the blanks. Lord, I release this to you. I choose not to hold on to that right that's pushing me to try to explain every single detail. Lord, I surrender it to you right now. I let go of every offense. I choose not to be offended at you, Lord. I invite you to heal my heart from the brokenness and from the discouragement right now. Align our hearts, Lord. And Lord, as you begin to bring order, let faith arise. You're the God of the impossible. Let faith arise. You're the God of the impossible. Let faith arise. Where there's been a sense of hope deferred, I ask that there will be a restoration of that hope right now. And actually, ultimately, that hope is in you. So, Lord, I pray that there will be a renewal of that vision of you right now, Father. Even as we go through this day, let your healing continue in hearts. Let there all these kind of limitations around our relationship with you from negative experiences begin to break off, Father, in Jesus' name. I believe even as we go through this day, the Lord will continue to bring healing to many of your hearts. I said 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9. For we are 
God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So verse 12 now, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12, we're in now. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Okay, I'm going to stop there, because I could read on, but we can veer off into other ideas that it's not really the emphasis I have uh, with this passage. Um, here is Paul talking to the church. And he's talking about the fact that through the Holy Spirit, he has been able to lay a good foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our faith, you know, the bedrock of everything that we believe is all by Jesus through Jesus. But he's also making some declarations or making some statements here that every believer needs to take note of because these are very challenging words. He's talking about works being tested. This idea is not something that's going to happen on this side of eternity. This is something that's going to happen when we meet Jesus face to face. So the sum total of our life is a picture of our work to God. Now, let me clarify. We are saved by faith, not by works. We are not saved by our activity. We are, what's the first uh, in uh, Ephesians? We are saved by, great, by, uh, by faith. You know the passage, don't remind me, Corinthians 3. Yes, we're saved by grace. Get the passage. It's going off my head right now. The point I'm trying to make is it's not by our works that we get saved, okay? We're saved as we uh, 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 surrender our life to Jesus, and he does a supernatural work of delivering us from the kingdom of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of light. That is the work of His Spirit. But the Bible also says we are saved for good works. So it is God who works in us to will and to do according to His good purpose. So He works in us to will and to do according to His good purpose. We are not just saved just to be in church and listen to sermons and have a nice time and get on the rest of our lives. God has work for us on this planet. Every single one of us. It's, it's varied, but God has work for us. That's why it ends up saying this, uh, I believe, I think it's in Ephesians as well, about the fivefold ministry, the, the apostle, the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet. It says they're there for the equipping of the saints so that the saints can do the work of the ministry. So the work of the ministry is not just for the pastors and the vicars and all those on the platforms. It's for all of us. What I'm trying to get us to is our lives are going to be tested by fire. 
there is a judgment day that is only specific for believers. So when we leave this earth and we end up in the presence of God, our life, our life on earth for in, our life on earth in service to God is going to be evaluated by fire. Are, are you tracking with me? So each, listen to this. This is what Paul says. Each man's work will be tested for what sort it is. He didn't say each man's work will be tested for what size it is. Let's read it again. This is verse 13, and I'm reading from the New King James. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So that refers to quality, not quantity. Now, in talking about the sort of works, in terms of the, 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 the sum total of our life and service and devotion to God, in talking about that, Paul gives different kind of metaphors and different things to describe that. And we see three categories of bad works and uh, uh, three categories of good works. The first category of bad works is wood, hay, and straw. I think the King James says stubble. Wood, hay, and straw. Category of bad works. Category of good works, gold, silver, and precious stone. And so how does this relate to prayer? Well, we'll get there in a moment. Imagine I give you 20,000 pounds, and you invest the 20,000 pounds in buying wood, hay. In fact, let's just take, let's just take one of those. Let's say you invest 20,000 pounds in buying wood. You're going to get a whole lot of wood, right? As in, you're going to get a lot of quantity. If you invest the same 20,000 pounds in buying gold, the quantity would not be anywhere comparable to the quantity of wood, but you would have greater quality. Now, when you take fire through wood, what happens? It turns to ashes. When you take fire through gold, what happens? It just changes state from solid to liquid. It doesn't change the quality of the material, right? Now, when you look at the wood, the hay, the stubble, they are often above the ground. They're what the eyes see. They're the things that people are attracted to. Now, I'm in ministry. I've been in ministry for many years. I have done this long enough to understand and know that you can have a growing ministry to the masses and a shrinking heart towards God. I've done this long enough to know that you can fall in love with the move of God and not the God of the move. Where on the outside... See, the wood, the hay, the stubble, they refer to what people see. On the outside, you can look impressive. On the outside, you could be so gifted. In fact, you can speak so well, people feel like you're speaking for God. But meanwhile, God is looking at you and he's grieved. Because you have a gift to communicate, but you're disconnected from the God who gave you that gift. So now you're running off the steam of your gift and People may seem to be blessed. See, this is above the ground. People are impressed by that, but God is looking at what is beneath that. The gold takes a lot of effort to get to. You know, treasure is not treasure if it's easily accessible. You don't find gold everywhere on the streets. 
It's because you have to invest effort to find, you have to dig. The prophetic word I felt when I came here was, it's like you're sitting on gold. And there needs to be some digging. But the gold is like a picture, a metaphor for the depth of your walk with God. It is beneath the surface. It is not what any eye could see. Many Christians are investing their effort in the wood hand stubble. They want a big ministry. They want a big business. They want a big bank account. They want a nice house. Again, it's not that all that's wrong, but a bulk of the energy, a bulk of the 20,000 pounds is all invested in what people can see. We're not realizing that this world, this life, is like an internship for eternity. If you live 90 years or 80 years or 70 years, all of that is just a rehearsal for the real job. Read the book of Revelation, the first part. He says, he who overcomes, I'll do this. He who overcomes, I'll do this. So he's talking to the church. Jesus is talking to the church. And if he's saying, for he who overcomes, I'll put this, you know, I'll write his name on this stone. He who overcomes, I'll give him authority over the nation. If he's saying that to the church, he's kind of pretty much implying that there will be believers that will not overcome. It's not, it's not like a it's not like, oh, everyone who has accepted Jesus in their lives and ends up in heaven would have overcome necessarily because there are conditions around the rewards he gives to certain people based on what they overcome. So when Christians live their lives just on the surface, focused on just what people can see, the ministry, the opportunities, the platforms, the what, fill in the blanks, we are actually investing our energy in the wrong place. He wants us to be in the category of good works. Invest our energies in that which people do not see. An iceberg is a lot bigger under than what... Are you with me? And if you know the story of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon and she saw all his wealth. She saw all that he had. And you know what she said? She said, actually... I'm so impressed, Solomon, because what I am seeing right here, your, uh, 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 what I am experiencing of you, Solomon, right now, is far greater than what I heard about you. So she was saying to Solomon, Solomon, your reality is greater than your reputation. Can that be said of you? That the reality of your walk with God, when no one is looking, is greater than the reputation you have for being a believer. You might raise your hands in church. You might even pray in church. But is there something deeper going on at home? Or is the sum total or the height of your spirituality what just happens in this context? Because I want to emphasize this. God is more interested in what is below the surface. And if you're going to invest in what is below the surface, you have got to have God's priority. And when you start to have God's priority, you start to understand that he is very concerned about your time with him. That is where gold is found. That is where the precious stones are found. That is where the silver is found. It is beneath what anyone can see. Have you not considered why Jesus oftentimes was almost, it seemed like he liked the crowd, but he didn't live by them. So the crowds would come, and then he would send them away, and then there were times where he didn't want people to know what he'd done. And then he was always in this kind of habit of wanting to retreat, to be on his own. If the Son of God had such a priority for solitude, 
Listen, Jesus had a high priority for solitude. Jesus, in the midst of his busyness, in the midst of all the anointing and all the stuff that God was doing through him, he had such a high priority to get alone with God. Why? Because he knew that was more important than the ministry. He knew that was more important than anything God could bless him with. You see the same picture when Jesus was resurrected, I believe the last chapter of the book of John. Jesus is resurrected. The disciples are trying to catch fish. They try all night to, to catch fish, and they couldn't catch any amount of fish. They, they spent many hours doing this. Then Jesus shows up. They didn't know it's Jesus, but he shouts to them from the shore and tells them to cast their net on the other side. They did that. And you know what happened? They catch all these fish. And then uh, I believe his apostle John realizes Jesus. John gets in the water and gets to Jesus. Now, just think about this. They spent many hours trying to catch fish. In all those hours, their efforts came to nothing. Just one word from Jesus, they caught all these fish. The fish is a picture of the blessing. When they caught this whole lot of blessing, you can fill in the blanks. It could be money. It could be bigger crowds. It could be more opportunities. It could be business growing. It could be you get married. It could fit whatever it is that we are wanting God to bless us with in the natural. They've been trying for years or hours, so to speak. God blesses them with it. And do you know what they did? They left it and go back to him. The very thing they've been craving so much, when it came, they left it. Because the God who gave it was more important than it. So they didn't stay on the boat to enjoy a boat full of fish. They didn't stay in the church to enjoy the crowds. They didn't stay in the business to enjoy all the money and the opportunities. They were still able to live it and get into his presence. So one of the problems we have is oftentimes we get distracted by God's blessings. We get distracted by the very things we are crying out for. So God wants to lay the foundation, starting with this session, for many of us to realize it's more important that we get alone with Him than the fruit of ministry or the fruit of life that other people would applaud us for in the natural. Wasn't it Lennon Revenue that also said, no man is greater than their prayer life? doesn't matter how big their ministry is. As a man prays, so he is. So question to you is, where is your prayer life at today? In fact, we can know where you are in your, where you are in your journey of prayer by examining the content of your prayer life. Many Christians think of prayer as a way to get God to do something for them. That is a wrong foundation. So that is a foundation that will not enable you to stay in this life of prayer for 10 years. Prayer is not a means to an end. It's not like, okay, we've got an evangelistic crusade coming up, so now we're going to pray really hard. And so you know what? When that crusade passes, the prayer stops. So prayer is not a means to an end. Listen, prayer is an end in and of itself. So we don't use prayer to try to get God to do something He doesn't want to do. And then we're going to pray hard enough until He changes how, and then He does it. No. Now, I'm not trying to say that through prayer we don't contend and we don't see things shift. You have to lay the foundation before you get to that dimension of prayer I'm talking about, where you're contending for things to shift. 
But many Christians don't have the right foundation. And it's this, that the whole idea of prayer is about knowing God, being with Him, not because of what He can give you, not because of the opportunities He can give but for who He is. So your prayer life should have a, a DNA to it that makes you not moved by life circumstances around you. Someone dies, you pray. You lost your job, you pray. Life is difficult, you pray. You feel depressed, you pray. Because all those things are things that can happen to you if the core of your being is pushing into God for who He is, and you establish the right rhythms around your life to push into God for who He is, you're going to become like a gold digger. It doesn't matter what's happening on the surface. You're just concerned about what's happening on the inside. So you're going to keep digging deep into God. The way I sustain a passion for revival, a passion for intercession, a passion for God to bring deliverance of the church, the way I sustain that is not so much by going after that. Even though I do go after that. The way I sustain that passion is by going after Jesus. Because the more I go after Jesus, the more I have the right perspective. So for many people, their prayer life goes up and down based on the intensity of the need of the moment. Okay, you need a job and you're desperate. You need money. Guess what? You're going to pray hard. So your intensity of prayer goes up. And then when that moment passes, your intensity drops. And then someone has cancer and they need healing and everyone is mobilizing prayer, sending text, pray, pray. Your intensity goes up. And then when that moment passes, your intensity drops. And then when the next need arises, fill in the bank, whatever that is, your intensity increases. So the graph of your prayer life is up and down. And the high points are what? The points of need. That is a communication of your level of spiritual maturity. I've got a three-year-old, I've got a nine-year-old, I've got a ten-month-old. The conversation I'm having with my ten-month-old is different to the one I'm having with my three-year-old. And that is completely different to the one I'm having with my nine-year-old. The content of my conversation with a nine-year-old is a reflection of my expectation of his maturity level. So the things I'm expecting from him at nine, I'm not expecting from the three-year-old. The conversation I'm having with the baby is basically nothing. <laughs> and she woke me up several times last night and didn't care that I didn't sleep enough. She doesn't care about my feelings. <laughs> All she cares about is herself. The fact that when she's in need, she doesn't care whether it's midnight or 3 a.m. or 5 a.m. She's going to cry until something shifts about that need. Isn't that like many Christians? The content of your conversation with God is a reflection of your level of maturity in your relationship with Him. For many Christians, they're like the three, uh, the 10-month-old baby, and they've been Christians for 15 years. Oh, Lord, you don't answer me. Oh, and so the only time they pray intensely is when they're in need. So God only knows their voice when needs arise. Now, thank God He's a good Father, and He still wants us to pray to Him, even if we just come to Him for needs' sake. But he's actually expecting maturity from us. So when justice, my son, becomes 15, our conversation has to shift from just needs to deeper relational connection. In fact, right now, that's already happening. 
So we're talking about his feelings. We're talking about what's going on in school. We're talking about how, we're talking about how to be a responsible person. We're talking about other things that are not just based on what he wants. Now he has to understand the dynamics of the world, his parents, other adults, how to relate to people. That's not circled around his, what he wants. And he wants a car, he wants a toy, he wants a video game. I'm like, in fact, I said to him, no video games right now. Because I see that when you play those video games, it's uh, causing you to behave worse. So actually, as you're growing your relationship with God, He brings discipline on you. If you don't know the discipline of God in your walk with Him, (laughs) you need to be asking, Lord, am I really walking with you? Because the Bible says He disciplines those He loves. Do you know the restriction of God on your life? Or do you just watch whatever you want to watch on Disney Plus, watch whatever you want to watch on Netflix, listen to any kind of music you want to listen to, go wherever you want to go, marry a date whoever you want to date, and God's government has no bearing over your life at all? Is he really your father? Or is he your sugar daddy? You know what sugar daddy is, right? If he's your father, he's going to father you. And there's going to be some boundaries. But he's going to relate to you how as you submit yourself to him, he's going to start to bring some boundaries and say, no, I'm, you know, yes, daughter, I know you want to do that, but that's not in line with my purpose for your life. And some of those disciplines that God brings will be painful. I don't know how you can walk with God and not experience pain. Honestly, I don't know how you can walk with God and not experience pain. Because God is, I often say this way, God wants to kill you. (laughs) If you've never heard before, hear it right now. God wants to kill you. What do I mean by that? He wants to kill your flesh. That's why he asked you to pick up your cross. Why would he ask you to pick up your cross? To get on the cross and watch Netflix? Why would he ask you to pick up your cross? To get on the cross and just have a nice time? He's asking you to pick up that cross because he's in the business of killing the flesh. Guess what? The devil wants to kill you too. So you need to decide who you're going to submit to. <laughs> the devil's killings are God's dealings. He wants to... He wants, see, your flesh is to the devil what your spirit is to the Holy Ghost. So the devil is going to work through your flesh, your brokenness, your tendencies, things that have not been to the cross yet. He wants to work through that to advance his agenda over your life. Even though you're a Christian, hello, Peter. Peter was confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God one moment. Next moment, he's saying things that sound good, but where the devil's speaking through him. So the fact that you're a Christian does not mean the devil can't speak through you. But the fact that you're close to Jesus does not mean you cannot unknowingly or maybe sometimes knowingly submit your vocal cords to articulate the desires of the enemy to another Christian. So God is in the business of dealing with the flesh. And so when you begin a journey in prayer, you have to lay this foundation of relationship with God. So this morning I woke up to pray. My prayer and the content of my prayer was not necessarily focused on this meeting. Even though I know I'm supposed to be speaking today, I am not, uh, let me explain, I am not praying in a way that all I focus on when I pray is ministry. I, I think that, to me, that is a weird relationship. 
Imagine if you have a good relationship with someone, or maybe if you have a relationship with someone, and they only come to you when they need you to get, when they want to get something from you. Doesn't that communicate the dysfunction of that relationship? Yes, I know he's God and he knows all things, but I don't just want to go to him when I'm about to speak. I don't, I, I don't uh, pray when I'm about to preach, pray intensely because I'm about to preach. My, let me say it this way, my prayer life is not based on my preaching diary. So whether I'm preaching or not preaching, I'm going to pray. I don't pray because I'm out to preach. I preach because I live a life of prayer. So the content of my conversation with God is not centered around just Him coming through for me every time, all the time, and what I just want Him to do right now. That is a picture of immaturity. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is, right, many of you have been Christians for a long time, and you need to evaluate how much of your conversation with God right now in your life is centered around what you're wanting Him to do. There needs to be a shift in perspective where the bulk of your conversation with God starts to center around who He is, starts to center around your desire for deeper connectedness with Him, starts to center around you reflecting more of His image, more than just God doing A, B, C, D. And in all that, Put revival in there too. God showing up and, you know, moving in the city and moving in the nation. I believe that, and I will pray that still. But what keeps me going is the depth of relationship with God. Now, let's look at Genesis 15. My goodness, time is going. We're going to pray in a few moments. So I would like the band to get ready. I'll let you know when to come up. Genesis 15. We're going to pray into this whole idea of reestablishing the right foundations in our relationship with the Lord. Genesis 15, verse 1. Oops, just lost it. I didn't catch that. <laughs> Siri's talking to me. Interesting question. <laughs> did, you, did, did you hear that? <laughs> you know, um, Siri is telling me it didn't catch that. <laughs> uh, I wasn't talking to you, Siri. <laughs> um. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, and saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I'm just going to pause there, because that's really all I wanted to emphasize there. Uh, prior to this, you would know that God had promised Abraham these incredible things. God had said to Abraham that he was going to make his descendants like the stars of the sea and all these incredible promises. As a side note, you know, Abraham did not live to see the fullness of the fulfillment of God's promise to him. Abraham did not see his descendants, while he was alive anyway, he didn't see his descendants become as the sand of the seashore. Isn't that crazy? He received the promise, but he didn't see the fullness of its fulfillment in his lifetime. That's another message for another time. But I find that so interesting to reflect on, that he was the one that received the promise, but the fullness of it, God released it over the generations. It was probably, yeah, the generations later that started to see the fullness of the promise come into manifestation. However, uh, where I'm going with this is God gives Abraham this incredible promise, or promises, and then God comes to, and says to him, 
Abraham, I am your shield, I am your covering, I am your protector. But then he then goes on to say these words that strike me, and I wanted to strike you too. He says, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. He didn't say to Abraham, Abraham, these things I'm giving you are your great reward. God says to Abraham, I am your reward. One of the ways I like to think about this is when it comes to serving God and even what we would often call dreams that we feel God has placed in our hearts and maybe things we want God to do through us, I want us to change the way we think about these things. Because I want to articulate the way I see this scripture, and I, I want to encourage you to, to kind of embrace this perspective in your personal, you know, in your life and in your walk with God. So, my dream is not my service to God. So, right now, I lead a ministry called Prayer Storm. We do lots of things in Manchester, across the nation and other nations, and God has been blessing us in so many ways, and I'm thankful for that. But my dream is not prayer storm. Prayer storm and the ministry is my assignment. My dream is Jesus, God. My dream is walking as close as it's possible to walk with God and still remain on the earth. Because Enoch walked so close to God, God just took him off and said, you might as well be in heaven with me right now. So my dream is, how close can I walk with God? When God looks on West Sussex right now, think about this. Who are the people from God's perspective that are walking the closest with Him in this whole region? In the days of Moses, it was Moses. When God looks at London and looks at the south of England, who are the five people from heaven's priority list? Who are the five people in the south of England, walking the closest with God. I want to challenge you. I, I don't have no way of proving this, but I think they're probably not the preachers. Are you tracking with me? And I've said to God, Lord, whoever those people are walking the closest with you from your perspective, I want to know those people. I want to walk with them. I want to, I want to have those people as people in my circle. Because I want to have people in my life that are having God's priority as their priority, and they're not seeking platforms, opportunities, and all that stuff. So my dream is to walk close with God. And then prayer storm is my assignment. I know I'm anointed. I know I'm called to do this. So I'm doing it in submission to God. And even as I do it, I feel a dimension of fulfillment in doing this. But where I want to find most fulfillment is not in my service to God, is in my being with God. Because it's so easy to find more fulfillment in your service to God and in God using you and all these opportunities. So if prayer storm is my assignment and knowing God is my dream, technically no one can touch my dream. If prayer storm gets big, my dream should not be affected. In other words, if God increases the influence of prayer storm and more opportunities come, I should not be lifted up in pride because that is just my assignment after all. Now, let's reverse it. If prayer storm shrinks, 
and opportunities fade away and money fades away and everything gets smaller, technically I should not be depressed because it's my assignment. And look, you know, what did Paul say? You know, Paul waters, Apollos does this, God, brought, God brings increase. I, I've said it the wrong way, but you know what I mean. The point is, they all have their parts, and Paul is saying, God is the one that brings the increase. So if I am faithful in serving God, and I make what He's called me to do, the assignment, and then I make Him the dream, if the assignment gets small, I should not be in depression because my dream is still being fulfilled. You know where the problem comes? When what should become my dream becomes my assignment, and what should become my assignment becomes my dream. So let's just imagine spending time with God now becomes my assignment, and I'm doing it out of obligation, and I'm doing it because this is what Christians are supposed to do. As a Christian leader, I'm meant to do this, blah, 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 and so the place that's supposed to be my dream now becomes my assignment. And what tends to happen is the thing that should become my assignment becomes my dream. And when prayer becomes my dream, I derive my sense of identity from it. So now, whatever happens to prayer I take it personal. Because, you know, oh, it's got smaller. Oh, I guess I'm rubbish. Oh, it gets bigger. Oh, I guess I'm a great person. What I, so my identity is tied to this thing over here. And that becomes a dysfunction. Now, I am still praying, in quotes, but the prayer has become just an assignment. And it's as, I'm using my time with God as a means to get God to use me. So my goal is, see, when you start to do what I do right now, when God is using you, it looks good. And it feels good. So you can get addicted to the anointing. And God, you, you can get addicted to God using you while you're not really deeply connected to Him. And this is where things become really dangerous. Because you can think because God is using you publicly, you're okay with Him privately. The, the, the scripture in Joel 2.28, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. The outpouring of God is often public. But the public outpouring is a secondary consequence of a private overflow. It's the overflow in the private of His presence that would eventually lead to the public outpouring. But many of us are so addicted to looking good and God blessing us in a way where we're like, you know, the wood hair and stubble above the surface, that we end up, we, we end up wanting God to show up publicly for us when we don't show up privately for Him. So we invest a lot of energy in God doing these you know, big things on the outside. But outside of all those things, there is not much left. So my iPhone is somewhere down there, and I often use the illustration, you know, thank God for technology, thank God for iPhones and all these things that we use oftentimes even in our prayer times. Apostle Paul did not have an iPhone in his prison cell to listen to elevation music, Bethel music, and Hillsong. <laughs> he didn't have this. But he had a deeper walk with God than many of us do. Do you realize a lot of these, extern these things we have, even some of the music we do, it's external things that we attach ourselves to to cover up our spiritual bankruptcy. Because when these things are stripped away and you're in a prison cell and there's no music, there's no preacher, there's no one else to cheer you on, you realize you actually have nothing left. 
you realize that your spirituality is quite shallow. Okay, maybe I'm just talking to myself. Anyone else knows what I'm saying? If we strip away, what's that song? When the music fades and everything is stripped away. When it's all stripped away and you're just bare by yourself, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm not as deep in God as I thought I was. It's because all the external fluff was covering up your spiritual deficiencies and you were not even aware of it. So this is the prayer you need to pray. Lord, shock me now. Please don't shock me on the day of judgment. When it's going to be too late, Lord, shock me now. Someone say that if you mean it. Lord, <laughs> shock me now. What that means is, Lord, show me where I'm missing it. Show me where my priorities are wrong. Show me where my dream is misplaced and it's not you and it's become an assignment and things are just turned upside down. Lord, show me how to recalibrate my heart and my priorities. Now, having said that, there are times in my life where because I've been journeying with this kind of, you know, paradigm and perspective, perspectives, as I observe my own life, there are times where I've realized that even though my dream has been knowing God, gradually over time, there's been a shift. And so I'm like, oh my goodness, that has been my dream, but I can feel like my heart is drifting towards making that other thing of ministry my dream. So you know what? It's a time to reset. Lord, Thank you for the ministry. Thank you for the platform, but that is not my dream. Lord, you know what? If I never preach again another message in my whole life, if I receive no more invitations, in fact, Lord, I would love that because then I can pray more. <laughs> Are you with me? Thank God for the opportunities, but, you know, it comes with lots of responsibilities. And sometimes I'm like, God, I just want to spend more time in prayer with you than just travel and preach everywhere. I'm not itching to preach. I'm itching to pray. Because when I preach, I can move men and women. But when I pray, I can move angels and demons. I'd rather be praying and being a voice in the heavens than a celebrity on the earth. I want to be a voice in the heavens. And if I'm going to do that, the secret place and the place of prayer has to be my utmost priority above everything else. Listen to this. Jesus' prayer life was more important to him than food or sleep. And if Jesus was able to pray that much as the Son of God, who are you to think you're okay with two minutes? Who do you think you are that the Son of God is investing eight hours in prayer and you somehow think you're okay with five minutes of prayer? But by the way, you spend three hours on Netflix and then you spend another two hours on Instagram and then you spend another three hours watching football and somehow you can't pray for 30 minutes and you think that's okay with God? He loves you, but He cannot trust you. The fact that God loves you does not mean He's going to entrust you with the things that are valuable in His kingdom. I love my nine-month-old, ten-month-old baby, but I don't trust her to give her things that are going to destroy her because she does not have internal structures and maturity to handle responsibilities. By your lack of value for the secret place, you're showing God that you're not mature to handle some things. In fact, the process of seeking God matures you. It, 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 so prayer is not missed. Through prayer, God starts to rearrange you. There are things God has said to me in prayer no human can say to me because they don't know me that well. For example, one day I'm praying and God said to me, James, are you happy to do what I've called you to do even if you look like a failure in the eyes of the people you're trying to impress? Why would 
why would the Lord stir that idea in my heart as I'm praying? Because he's trying to expose something in me I did not even know was there. You don't know yourself as much as God knows you. That's why he's going to deal with you, deal with things in your heart you don't even know are there as you pray. Wasn't it not David that prayed this? Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Psalm 139. It says, and see if there's any wicked way in me. David is saying to the Lord, Lord, there could be wickedness in me that I don't know about. Do you know you have certain tendencies that you may not be aware of? There's wickedness or there could be wickedness in you right now that you don't know. Because the situations to expose that dimension of wickedness are yet to arise. So how are you going to know is there? When the situation to expose it has not yet come. But God can see it in you before the situation arises. That's why the place of prayer is where he refines you. You, can't just be ask, you cannot just be asking for his fire to come on you and expect that that fire just makes you feel good. The fire also refines you. Gets rid of junk. That is why the foundation has to be seeking him above all else. Because you can't even trust you. You don't even know you. You don't even understand all the dynamics and all the things going on in you that he is wanting to work out. And the place of prayer is like the crucible. He does all this kind of work in you. Sometimes you have an idea of what's going on. Sometimes you have no idea what's going on. But he is at work in you. Do you understand with me? We're going to pray for a few moments. Can I have the band come up, please? This first session, I know, I know it's been a long bit of teaching. I appreciate that some of you, I don't know, I don't know if this is normal for you to sit down for this long. <laughs> <laughs> is it? <laughs> Someone says it doesn't matter. Okay, good. Try to be as calm as you can in terms of, you know, try not to get as distracted. You know, I want to maintain that frame of mind. God is wanting to work in us <clears throat> to will and to do according to his good purpose. Jesus is concerned about our devotion, our love, our consecration. To him, not to external things, not even to family. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying family is not important, but above that is Jesus himself. He wants to be above everything else. He wants to be the sole focus and purpose of our existence where our whole life is wrapped around him and everything flows from our relationship with him, not because of what we want him to do for us. Jesus and the Father... You know, the Godhead, God is not a vending machine. He's not just wanting you to come to him and just say, God, give me this, give me this, give me this. Thank you, Lord, and bye until next week. Lord, give me this, give me this. And so he's wanting interaction. In fact, there's some of you in this place where you're frustrated because you used to see certain answers to prayer in a certain area, and now you're not seeing that level of response from God in that area anymore. I want to just say this. Could it be that God is calling you to mature? It's kind of like a baby. When you're a baby Christian, there's certain things that God will be quick to answer. That as you mature in Him, He is going to, is going to start to expect a certain level of investment in that relationship. Could it be that He's calling you higher? 
and you're interpreting it as he's not wanting to answer. He's like, well, you've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been trying to deal with this area of your life, but you've not submitted to me. I've been trying to deal with this other area of your life, but you've been resisting me. And yet you want me to just keep answering prayers so quickly. Maybe he's trying to get your attention. Maybe. So I want us to start this, um, you know, this first session. I want, I want us to take some time to ask the Lord to realign our priorities just begin it right now in your words. You might want to close your eyes. And Ben, if you want to play something just quietly in the background, uh, you might want to just begin to ask the Lord to do a deep work in you. And by the way, as we pray, it's not going to be a silent prayer. It doesn't have to be loud and shouty, but I think something needs to come out from your mouth. And I want, to, I want you to understand why that's important. There is something powerful about your ears hearing your own words, speaking it out to the Lord. Jesus himself said, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven. He didn't say, when you pray, think. He said, when you pray, say. So he, th there's an emphasis on words being released in the place of prayer. Something really big about that. So for the next few moments, I want us all to release our own words to the Lord. It could be confession. It could be an invitation from the Father that His Spirit will come and do a deeper work. It could be anything aligned or connected to what I've, what I've just been teaching on this morning. It could be, Lord, I'm sorry for investing in wood, hair, and stubble. Lord, I want to invest in gold, silver, and precious stones. I want, to, I want to invest in that which is beneath the surface. As the fire of God tests me on the final day, I want it to be quality that comes forth, not just quantity that becomes ashes. Lord, would you realign my priorities right now? Would you realign my focus right now? Lord, I don't want prayer to be a chore. I want it to become a passion, not an obligation. Would you mark me with that spirit, that hunger? Realign my priorities where my hunger for sports, my hunger for other things, my hunger for entertainment and movies and fill in the blanks. My hunger for all these things, Lord have overtaken my hunger for you. Lord, I'm asking that hunger would arise within my heart this morning, this day, this afternoon. Lord, let there be a shift in my appetite, Lord. Lord, I'm asking that you would realign the things on the inside that influence the way I think, the way I desire. Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you into every area right now. Bring your order. Pray over yourself right now. Say, Father, I welcome your order over my my emotions, over my priorities, Lord. I want to seek you above all else. I want to invest in the gold and the precious stone. I want to invest hours. I want to invest more time than ever in seeking your face, Father. I'm not just here to hear about you. I, I, want, to, I want to encounter you in a deeper way. Let the veil be removed that stopped me from going deeper in you, Father. All the things that, that, are, that, that are in front of me, like obstacles, keeping me from greater depths of encounter. Let them begin to shatter, Lord, even right now. I come boldly before your throne of grace, Father. I'm asking for a shift in my heart, Lord. You might want to place your hand on your heart and say, Lord, do a deep work in me, Lord. Do a deep work in me. Let this begin to be the reestablishing of my prayer foundations. I want the content of my prayer life to shift. I want to begin to pray in a way that's, that has its focus on seeking you. 
that you become my dream, Jesus. No money, no fame, no opportunities, no ministry, no business, no popularity. I want you to be my dream, Lord, and let it be a defining one. It defines my decisions. It defines everything about my life, Lord. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, don't stop. Come on, just keep praying. We're going to stretch some more right now, okay? You might want to, if you want to find a space, you want to just close your eyes, find a space, and begin to pray. We're going to take a few moments to do this. We're not in a rush, okay? So just take some time to press into God right now. Let there be a recalibration, Holy Ghost. A recalibration, a reordering, Holy Spirit. We want you, Lord. We want you, Jesus. Ah, Jesus. Jesus. You are the desire of our hearts. We choose to send your heel, Lord. Do we have clean hands? Do we have pure hearts? We ask that you would realign our, our, our hearts, Lord, and even the works of our hands so that we can ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and pure heart, Lord. We choose to ascend, Lord, today. Remove every obstacle that's hindering that, that ascent into the hill of the Lord, the mountain of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, just keep praying. If you pray in tongues, take some time to pray in the Spirit right now. If you don't pray in tongues, it's okay. Just begin to ask the Lord, Father, do a deep work in me. It's okay if you repeat the same words. It's okay. Yeah. Holy Spirit, we ask for the foundation of intimacy with you to be relayed this morning this day, Lord. Relay the foundations of intimacy with you, Lord. Take us to deeper places of encounter, deeper places of seeing you, deeper places of encountering your heart, Lord. Banana, na 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 na
Yes. So I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. Set a fire now in my soul. Can't contain, I can't control. I want more. Come on, just make that your prayer this day. Come on. Set a fire down in my soul. I want more of you. I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. Sing that one more time, set a fire. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of now you, Now listen, God. just listen. Keep playing, man. I want you to listen to this. We're going to pray some more in this line of a realignment of our priorities, our hearts, our desires. I want to make this practical. I do this sometimes when I pray. I present my diary to the Lord. I present my life to the Lord. Lord, I've got children. I've got three kids. You've given me the, uh, these responsibilities. Father, how do you want me to spend quality time with you that is not currently being reflected in the way I'm living? Let's make this practical. You're saying you want more of God. He's also saying to you, he wants more of you. So that looks like creating space. Some of you already have some kind of rhythms in your life where you spend time to pray on a regular basis. Some of you don't have these rhythms. So we're going to get really practical right now. You're going to pray probably 10 times more this year if you just make the time in your diary. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to wake up at 6, for example. I'm going to pray till 7. Or I'm going to stay up at night. I'm going to pray. Blah, blah. You, I'm not trying to prescribe to you the time and all that. I'm just giving you an example. And I want you to get really practical and say, Lord, what sort of time can I give you? Maybe the Lord might be asking you to increase the time you've been spending with Him. Maybe you've been spending like quick five minutes here and there. And actually, with the kind of lifestyle you have, you can actually give him more time. You may be a bit worried and like, oh God, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. I might find it difficult. Don't be unrealistic, but be honest with God. If it's 30 minutes, be real and be honest. Lord, I would like to spend more time, but I feel like I can give you this, these 30 minutes in the morning where there's no distraction and I'm pressing in, spending time with you. Lord, I feel like I can give you an hour. I, I can give you an hour and a half and, and I want it to be at this time. So we're going to take some, more, some time right now just to reflect on that, okay? If you want a journal, get a journal, write it down. If you want to just make a note, I don't want us to pray these prayers in a kind of vague kind of way. 
the Lord wants us to begin to put structures in our lives that will host what He wants to release. Some of you are young families and you've got young children like myself. You need wisdom to know how you're going to spend quality time in the midst of children. You know, ask the Lord for wisdom, even in this short time together. So I'm going to give you some time to do that band. I just want you to keep playing the music right now. You might want to sit down. You might want to find some space. Just pray. Say, Lord, what does quality time look like on a daily basis in your presence for me? In this season of my life, what does this look like, Lord? Lord, show me, how can I create more space? Lord, how can I be stretched in my personal prayer life, my routines? What time of the day do you want me to give to you, Lord? Is it midnight? Is it morning? Is it afternoon? Lord, what is it you're requiring of me? I don't just want to pray or sing. I want more of you. I want to... I want to create space for you to come in a fresh way. spouses and the marriages in this room I want to encourage you I don't know if you pray together with your spouse but that that is another dimension of you know power and just something really special about praying together in the midst of asking the Lord Lord how can I spend quality time with you maybe also ask the Lord Lord how can myself and my wife or you know you know, my wife and my, you know, my spouse. How can we pray together more? What does that look like for us? I've spoken to many people, or a few people at least, that struggle to do that. If you're here and you struggle to pray with your wife, I want to say to you, or you struggle to pray with your husband, I want to say to you, that is of the enemy, trying to stop you from accessing something that's special in God for your marriage. You're meant to be able to be free together spiritually, praying together. So important. Now, as you sense the Lord stirring you in some directions of quality time in His presence, the next thing I want to challenge you to do, a practical thing, is to make a commitment to share that with someone. Don't just keep it in your head, oh yeah, I feel the Lord calling me to wake up at six and to pray for an hour. Share it with your spouse, share it with a close friend, or share it with a mentor or leader. Say, hey, the Lord has been stirring me to spend this kind of quality time in His presence, and I want you to keep me accountable. Check up on me every now and then. Just find out how I'm doing. There's something about accountability and being in community that's so important. 
So if you can, open your eyes and just look at me because we're going to transition a few moments. How many of you feel even or sense in this session you have some clarity about the next steps to take? Well, that's good. The reason why I'm asking that is I want to go back to the word I shared at the beginning. I really do believe there is a move of God that is going to be birthed in this place. And part of the structures or when maybe one of the things I believe would help sustain and carry that move is what we're talking about right now. There's a personal responsibility and then there's a corporate responsibility. We're dealing with the personal one. Thank you, Ben. We're going we're gonna to go into some scriptures, some more right now. Maybe for the next... Uh, uh, Reverend James told me to go up to one o'clock. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going. Is that okay? I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to stop until one. We're going to spend the next 30 minutes or so doing a bit of teaching. And then the last 30 minutes, we're going to go into prayer. If you need to take a toilet break, feel free to do that. Um, I tell you one thing I love about what we're doing here, Reverend James, is uh, most places, especially most English churches I speak at, it's really brief. <laughs> and there are lots of breaks. <laughs> This is like the African way. <laughs> okay, I'll let you settle a bit. The next thing we're going to go into are the practices of prayer. So, the first bit we just dealt with, foundations, perspectives, understanding that prayer is not about just getting God to meet our needs. But there's something about engaging with God himself. So now what I want to look at is some of the challenges many of us have. So you said, okay, Lord, I want to wake up at 6 and I want to pray. Now, when you wake up at 6 and you decide you're going to pray, there's some challenges you're going to face. Now, in many ways, I wish I, I, wish I was told this <laughs> when I started to pray because I often used to think, it seems like I'm the only one struggling in prayer. Everyone seems to be having a, they seem to be seeing angels every other day when they pray. And, you know, well, I'm like, you know, anyway. But as I've journeyed in God, I've realized some of these things that I've experienced and sometimes I still experience. Many people are experiencing that and are, what's the word? And are feeling discouraged in their journey, thinking that they're not seeking God properly or they're not spiritual enough. So we're going to use this scripture to kind of just give you some insight into what it looks like when you decide you're going to pray. What are the obstacles you're going to have to come against and how are you going to overcome them? So we're going to go to Matthew 14. So <clears throat> Matthew 14, 22. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. So I'm going to stop there and just give some sort of context to this. And then we're going to delve deeper into how this affects your time with God and your personal prayer life. So, 
Jesus heard the news about John the Baptist, his cousin, being beheaded. Earlier here in verse 13, it says, When Jesus heard it, he, de he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So he actually just wanted to get away from the multitudes. He wanted to have some time alone, perhaps to reflect on John the Baptist's life and, you know, the tragedy of him losing his life in such a terrible way. I don't know. The point is, he wanted to get away. Jesus is trying to get away. The multitudes see him. And if you've been to Jerusalem, well, actually not Jerusalem, if you've been to Israel, you've been to Galilee, it's like, it's, like, it's a completely different perspective because you get to actually see how it looks. How many of you have been to Galilee? You know, it's like this sea, all the cities are all around. You know, it's like massive. And so they probably saw Jesus walking and so they ran around, I don't know how, and they found him. And they were able to track him down. And so he couldn't get away, you know, because they saw him and they ran around and met him on the other side. And, you know, now the crowd, the multitudes are there. And the Bible says he's moved with compassion. He ministers to them. And this is where he feeds the 5,000. After he feeds the 5,000, then he decides to send the multitudes away. By this point, it's evening. So if you work out the timings, it appears as though Jesus had been busy all day, obviously. Now it's evening after ministering to people, after feeding the 5,000. So this is what I think. It doesn't say this in Scripture, but this is me just trying to put myself in Jesus' shoes. I am guessing that Jesus was probably physically exhausted from ministry, because ministry can be draining physically. I am guessing that Jesus was probably emotionally exhausted as well, uh, given out his cousin's just been beheaded. Now, after all that ministry, we just read, Jesus sent the multitudes away, and he decided himself to climb up a mountain. That doesn't make sense to me. If you're physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, you've had a hard day, you know, just been ministering all day, you've had bad news about your cousin dying, the next thing to do in my mind is, no, okay, I'm going to climb up a mountain. <laughs> I said, I've never climbed up a mountain, but I've climbed up lots of flights of stairs. Now, <laughs> all I can say is you need a lot of, you need a bit of stamina to do that. Because <laughs> if you're not fit and you're trying to climb up a mountain, I you feel the physical pressure, as in it's physically demanding is the point I'm trying to make. So the question is, why would Jesus climb up a mountain after all of that ministry? Okay, why didn't Jesus pray in the valley? Why didn't he just pray? Right? God was right there, right? I mean, yes, he's God, but he was wanting to come in with his father. Why didn't he, why didn't he just send the multitudes away and pray in the valley? Well, we'll come to answer that question maybe in a few moments. But what I want to point your attention to is when you decide you want to pray and when you decide you want to spend some quality time with God, you're going to have to do one of the things that Jesus did. You know the first thing he did? He had to send the multitudes away. You are going to, out of your own desire and your own will, you're going to have to send multitudes away. You know what that looks like? Getting rid of distractions. Getting rid of social media. Getting rid of all the things 
Someone says amen to that. Yes. Getting rid of all the things that interrupt your ability to give God your focus. You know, if you're married here and you spend time with your spouse, like I do, there are times when the phone interrupts a, pop, a very important conversation. And it's happened both ways. When I'm speaking to Rebecca or when she's speaking to me, where I get frustrated that somehow the phone is distracting an important moment or she's on the phone or vice versa, I'm on the phone. It's like, James, get off the phone. Because it's irritating if you're trying to talk to someone. I mean, knows what I'm talking about. You're trying, to talk to someone, you're trying to talk to someone and share something with them, and then there they are on their phone messing about something or answering a message. You're like, you want their full attention. Well, if that's how you feel in the natural, how do you think the father feels when you say you want to spend time with him, but your attention is in multiple places? Think about that scripture that says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That scripture is giving us an idea of what it's like to be focused. Focused in our pursuit of God. As humans, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty much impossible to be intense at 10 things at the same time. What makes a laser beam effective is the fact that the energy is kind of focused. It's, it's like very pointed and focused. In the same way, when you want to pray, you have to give God your best, not the leftovers. Know the time when you're completely worn out. Give him your best. So that's why it's important you have time to reflect. Okay, Lord, what is a good time for me to spend on a regular basis with you? And based on your season in life, you find that that keeps changing. If you're, if you're a mom, you just had a baby, well, you're going to have to rethink what that looks like. <laughs> Pray with your baby, but there will be some changes around that. So Jesus had to send the multitudes away. Then he had to climb up the mountain. So when I think about him climbing up the mountain, one of the things that strikes me is the impact of the climbing process on his flesh. When you decide you're going to spend time to pray, one of the first things you're going to come against is your flesh. So Let's just say you wake up at 6 and you decide you want to pray. Your flesh is going to say, no, you're not going to pray. How is it going to tell you that? It's going to tell you that by saying this. You can just lie in this bed some more right now. <laughs> Reverend James will do your prayer for you. Just, just, just lie in bed some more right now. You know, God understands. <laughs> that is your flesh talking to you. <laughs> I know no one calls you. I'm just saying that to be crazy, silly. <laughs> no one calls him Reverend James apart from me. Okay, okay. James is going to tell you. Your friends is going to tell you. James is going to pray for me. The vicar is going to pray for me. You know, God understands. It's very cold right now. Listen, the things that are most beneficial to your spiritual development, your flesh will fight the most. Hear me again. The things that are most beneficial to your spiritual development, your body, your flesh, will resist the most. The fact that you're feeling that does not make you unspiritual. So the fact that you're feeling like you don't want to pray, the fact that you're feeling you don't want to spend that time, or the fact that you're making the time to pray, the distractions are coming, and you feel like you want to do every other thing apart from pray, that is your flesh. Can I just make this announcement? That is normal. 
Because your flesh wars against the Spirit. So when you feel that, it is a sign to you that your flesh is fighting what your spirit needs. So now your decision is going to, as in, where you align your will to is going to change everything. You could align your will with the flesh or with the spirit. In that moment, you have a decision to make. Am I going to give in to the flesh or am I going to give in to the spirit? The more you give in to the flesh, the stronger the flesh becomes in its influence. The more you give in to the spirit, the stronger the spirit becomes. What you feed grows and what you starve dies. So when it's time to pray, the flesh reacts. You probably notice this as well. If you're hanging out with your friends and you're talking about movies or football and having a, just having a good time, just catching up talking, I've noticed this. The moment someone in the meeting says, let's pray, someone is going to yawn. <laughs> Have you, I don't, anyone noticed that before? You say, let's pray. All of a sudden, people start to be bored and tired. And all of a sudden, the, that, that is the flesh reacting. So when I am in that, in fact, sometimes I say to my staff, no yawning right now. No Because <laughs> I say to them, listen, if, I said to my staff, sometimes when we're in the meeting, I said, if you're teaching, and you're teaching a group of people, and they all start yawning, that drains all inspiration from you. It, it's, like, it's like pouring water on fire. It doesn't stir. So kill that yawn right now. I'm just telling them, listen, I want you to be fully engaged. So you have to know how to say no to your flesh. And this is why fasting is powerful. Because fasting is one of the ways in which you train your, your spirit to override the desires of your flesh. Because natural desire is to eat. But you're saying to your body, body, you're not eating. I mean, let's put health conditions aside. Let's say you're perfectly healthy, normal human being. Okay, and you're deciding you're going to fast, your flesh is going to resist it. But that is a decision you're making that benefits your spirit, not your flesh. So the more you get into the lifestyle of saying no to your flesh, the easier it will be for you to, note, to, to recognize the flesh when it's trying to stir itself up. So you get used to telling to be quiet. For example, in a, in a prayer meeting, when it's, it's time to pray, I often say to people, Jesus said, when you pray, say. He didn't say, when you pray, think. The reason why that's important is I say to people, listen, I had my quiet time at home. This is not my quiet time. It's a corporate meeting. And it means we need to release words. Read through Scripture. When they pray publicly, they didn't sit there thinking. Everyone having their thinking time and their corporate prayer They released words because then there could be agreement, which brought unity and power in the meeting. So oftentimes in a setting like this, your flesh would want you to be quiet because culturally maybe or for whatever reason... Oh, you know, I'm shy. I don't want anyone to hear me. Well, you don't have to be loud, but it's important that you learn how to release words. So the fact that you're feeling that resistance does not mean you're unspiritual. You have to say, listen, buddy, you're not going to rule me. 
You have to be able to differentiate between the desires of your flesh and that which the Spirit wants. Don't allow culture and the way you've been brought up to override that which is spiritual. Because some people subscribe to culture and they think it's spiritual, but it's not the kingdom. Okay, Nigerian culture, Ghanaian culture, Brazilian culture, American culture, British culture, I believe in all these cultures, the elements of the kingdom you can see, like for example, in the African culture, there's a lot of respect for the elderly. I think that's kingdom, but there's a whole lot of stuff that's not the kingdom in that culture too. In the British culture, I love certain things about uh, uh, public displays of affection and you know, that you often sometimes might not find in an African setting, and how certain things are displayed. There are other dimensions of British culture I love that I think has kingdom elements in it. But I want to say to you, there are also parts of the British culture that doesn't have kingdom in it. So we need to journey with God and actually allow His, his uh, 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 ideas and His uh, culture to be more important to us than that which we have as our preference. So there are times when I go into a meeting and my preference is I'm going to be quiet. I don't want to speak. I don't feel like speaking right. I don't feel like praying right now. See, I know I don't feel like it. But listen, you're called a believer, not a feeler. So it doesn't matter that you don't feel like praying. Yeah, well, it does matter, but it doesn't in that you shouldn't allow it to shut you down because you don't feel like it. Oh, I don't feel like praying today, so I guess I'm just going to be quiet because, you know, if I don't feel like it, then maybe I shouldn't do it. Well, you live by faith, not by feelings. So God is not expecting you to say, okay, well, I don't feel like praying today, so I'm not going to pray. God is expecting you to seek Him when you feel like it and when you don't. If you only pray when you feel like it, you're not going to pray very much. What's happening in meetings like this is desire is being stirred. Desire without discipline will dissipate. The fact that you're stirred, you want to pray, you want to see God, great. But if you don't channel that desire into some structure, you will eventually fall back and go, how did I end up here? I'm not really praying. I've heard, this is the hundredth message I heard on prayer and my life hasn't changed because you've not got any structures in place. And then you might hear some people say, you know what, James, I think prayer is important and I love that you think we should pray for long hours and all that, but I don't think it's all about the, uh, the quantity. I think it's all about the quality. You heard that before? It's not, about the it's not about the quantity, it's all about the quality. Well, the only reason why you're saying that is maybe you're not married. Because I can't imagine saying, you know, let's say this, you say to your wife, hey spouse, you know what? It's all about the quantity, not the quality of time we spend together. So I'm going to condense everything into two power minutes right now. <laughs> <laughs> See how that doesn't make any sense? The only reason why you're saying it's all about, quant uh, 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 what's it? it's all about quality, not quantity, is because you're not in love. If you fall in love with God, you realize <laughs> you want to have a lot of quality. So, yes, you start where you are. If it's 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and whatever, you start where you are. But really, when you grow in God, you realize Actually, you want to give God more time. You will not grow deep in God on the run. It doesn't happen because you're just 
off everywhere busy, and then you just say pray over here as you're busy in the midst of your business. I appreciate that we should connect with God everywhere we are, whether we're at work, driving. We should have a heart that's engaging with the Spirit. But we cannot replace the reality of Matthew 6. When you pray, go into your room. So there's something about a space and a place and a focus. Shut the door. Get rid of the multitudes. That's the distractions. And then pray. The prayer process is like climbing a mountain. It, 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 the process is like prayer is like a technology, spiritual technology that God has given us to slay the flesh. You remember, what's his name? Uh, Jacob. Jacob had this wrestle with an angel that was kind of God, you know. And then when he had that wrestle, he came out. He, I think that was through the night. He came out of that wrestle, and the Bible said that he limped. So every time he walked, there was a limp, and that was a pain in his flesh, a reminder of the encounter he had with God. So his quantity and quality of time with God was manifested in pain in his flesh. Are you with me? One of the signs that you are really journeying in God is when you come out, we can see the sign on your flesh. And those sorts of encounters don't just happen in one second or two minutes. Now, I appreciate that God can do things in a quick moment, but those quick manifestations and those moments come on the back of a lot of investment of time. Think about Daniel. You know Daniel? When you read the book of Daniel, you see some of the crazy encounters Daniel had, where angels shows up, he has all these incredible end-time revelations, powerful things, and, you know, just incredible man of God Daniel was. But the Bible says he prayed three times a day, as was his custom from his youth. So Daniel prayed three times a day for decades. When you read the book of Daniel, and you read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, that's not year one, year two, year, year three necessarily. So you can think, oh, yeah, Daniel prayed for three times a day, and then all of a sudden he has the encounter. That doesn't mean every time Daniel prayed there was an encounter. I guarantee you there were probably months Daniel prayed and felt bored. Okay, now let me break this myth. The fact that you're feeling bored in a place of prayer does not mean you're unspiritual. It's just your flesh reacting. And so this is what helps me. God is not boring. You are boring. <laughs> I am boring. But because God cannot be boring. I have had incredible prayer times, and I have, I have had incredibly boring times. But the fact that I'm having the boring times does not mean I think God is boring. I just know I am very much conscious of the flesh. That is why I'm feeling the boredom. Now listen to this statement. This is important. You have to embrace boredom as a pathway to encounter. There, there are times when you can encounter God and it seems like He's just right there and you start praying and boom, it's like the heavens are open and you're, it's just crazy, amazing. I don't know about you, this is my experience. There are other times when I'm praying, it's like, God, you feel like you're so far away. I know you're here, but you feel so far away and I am feeling bored, but I know that that boredom is not on your side. So I am going to stay in this boredom. But many of you don't stay there. 
You think because it's boring, you're not spiritual, and therefore God doesn't love you, and therefore forget about this prayer, let's go and watch Netflix. <laughs> Many people don't, didn't Jesus himself say this, blessed are the poor in spirit. So there is a blessing in realizing your spiritual poverty. But when you're feeling bored, your poverty is on display. Don't run away from it. Embrace it. Say, okay, Lord, I'm feeling, Lord, I am feeling bored right now, and that's why I'm even going to stay a bit longer right here. Because I'm not praying based on how I'm feeling. I know you're here whether I feel something or I don't. This activity right here of being with you, it's good for my spirit. So I'm not going to allow my feelings to determine whether I pray or not. There are many of my personal prayer times that are boring. And some Christians think because I'm praying with passion, it means I'm often just filling God all the time. I want to set you free to embrace that boredom because many of you are not growing in prayer because you're running away from that place, thinking every single time you pray, there has to be an explosion. Now, there, there, there are explosions too. <laughs> there are moments like, you know, the angel shows up to Daniel. That didn't happen every single day Daniel prayed. That didn't happen every single day. There are times we prayed when nothing happened, and we don't know about that because you just read the whole story as though it happened, you know, in sequence. One, year one, year two, year three. Not necessarily. Some verses may have years between them, and you never know that. And then the angel shows up, and all these incredible things happen. But the reason why the angel showed us because of the years of consistency. Because when he felt bored, he still stayed there. And heaven noted it. And he thought nothing was happening, but significant things were happening. So the process of Jesus climbing up that mountain is the process of dealing with the flesh. That is what happens when you pray. Now, how many of you pray in tongues here? Great. Oh, a lot of you, great. One of the ways you climb up that mountain is praying in tongues. I pray in tongues oftentimes in my personal prayer time because I find it's one of the ways to push past the flesh. Now, there are, I don't know if I'm going to have time to explain this properly, but let me just summarize. There are um, atmospheric or maybe regional uh, resistance, things that are in the air. You know, Ephesians 2 talks about, you know, uh, the, the God of this age. No, it says uh, Satan is the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. So it connects the satanic to the atmospheric, right? So there are times when you pray, you feel resistance, it's atmospheric. And there are times when you pray, the resistance is not atmospheric, it's internal. So you need to figure out the resistance I'm feeling, is it because I am not fully surrendered? Is there areas of my life where I've grieved the Holy Spirit? Am I? There are times when you need to check your heart. Search me, God. Is everything okay between us? <laughs> Lord, now, if you are sure there is nothing, then the resistance you may be feeling could be atmospheric. And one of the ways I find to shift or push past resistance especially if it's not internal and I've checked my heart with God. One of the ways I push past resistance is by praying in tongues and worship as well, actually. But I find that when I start praying in tongues, I feel, depending on where I'm praying, I can feel like I am at the bottom of the mountain about to climb it. And so as I start praying, you may be able to relate to this experience. I 
physically, I feel like my words are falling to the ground. I feel like everything I'm saying is stupid. <laughs> I feel like everything I'm saying is going nowhere. I feel like I'm speaking, but I feel like this is a waste of time. Anyone can relate to that? The fact that you feel that way does not mean you're unspiritual. You're just, see, what is it in Hebrews? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, right? But it also says, he who comes to God must believe that it is, right? So think about this. He who comes to God. Prayer is a pilgrimage. So if you're going to come to God, you have to move from point A to point B. God is at point B, but you are at point A. It's not that God is not at point A. For example, Jesus is at the foot of the mountain. Yes, the Father was with him, but he had to go on pilgrimage from the foot of the mountain to the top of the mountain. So what's the difference between the foot of the mountain and the top of the mountain? At the top of the mountain is an encounter. At the foot of the mountain is just the sense of the presence. You still have the presence, but you want to come into the manifest, real are you with me? Consciousness of presence. So if that's what you're after, deep encounter, you have to come to God. So you have to journey. What it says in uh, Psalms, you have to ascend the hill of the Lord. You have to move from point A to point B. And that journey process, often you go through a lot of dynamics, often in the flesh as you journey. And when you start you feel this resistance. Sometimes it's in the flesh. You feel like your words are falling to the ground and all these things are going on. It's okay. Just keep climbing. Many people get discouraged and stop. Oh, yeah, I did this yesterday. I got discouraged and stopped. Oh, nothing happened. I... Oh, oh, this is a big one. Some... Oh, I feel like I'm just striving. <laughs> I feel like I'm just striving. Okay, well, let's define what striving is. Because many of us have the wrong idea of what striving is. The fact that effort is being applied does not mean you're striving. Jesus had to apply effort in his relationship with the Father. You don't believe me? Well, read what happened after he was baptized. The Spirit drove him into fasting and prayer for 40 days. Tell me that doesn't require effort. Yes, the Spirit was guiding him, but he still had to submit to the Spirit and not eat for 40 days. Well, I thought the father just told him, I love you. You're my beloved son. If the father loves him, he's the beloved son of the father, why on earth does he need to invest so much effort? Christ, was, it, was, it, uh, uh, was it Leonard Heaven that says, you know, sometimes Christians, anything they say in Scripture that they don't like, they label it as legalism. <laughs> we think because something requires effort, it means we're striving. This is my understanding of striving. It's not about the activity. It's about where the activity is coming from. So Jesus receives the approval of the Father, and then from that approval, he goes into intense spiritual activity. So his fasting and his praying, he was not fasting and praying for love. He was fasting and praying from love. So I am not fasting and praying because I want God to love me, because I want Him to, you know, I'm not trying to earn something from Him. And let me just say this, 
If you leave this meeting and you don't pray another day in your life, God still loves you. It, your, your lack of prayer does not stop God from loving you. What it does is, the more you pray, you just open up yourself to encounter and experience more of what He's made available to you right now. So if you don't pray, it's actually to your own detriment. But it doesn't stop God's love. So when you're at the foot of the mountain, in quote, so to speak, and you're journeying prayer, and it feels like you're applying yourself, check yourself. Where are you? How do you see God? Do you see him as a loving father, or do you see him as, a, as like a taskmaster that's mad at you? The last thing you want to do is spend time with someone you know is mad at you. <laughs> Isn't that true? If, if you know someone is really, really angry with you, you don't want to spend time in their presence. So if you think God is mad at you all the time, you're not really going to want to be with him. But if you know he's a God of love, and he actually is always with you, yes, you can encounter more of his presence. And actually what you're, what you're feeling is not that he's resisting you, but you're just going through reactions in your flesh. You're going to stay there. So the fact that I am choosing to pray for two hours or three hours, and I may not necessarily send much of the breakthrough I'm wanting, does not mean I am just striving in the flesh. By the way, the whole idea of striving in the flesh is not like the Holy Spirit comes on you and just enables you to pray all the time. Paul the Apostle said this, I will pray in tongues. Then he also said this, I will pray in my understanding. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit will come on me, and then I start to shake, and then I will pray in tongues. So it was an act of his will. He chose to pray. So there are times where you choose to pray, and it can feel like you're just pushing, but that doesn't mean you're striving if your heart posture is in the confidence that the Father already loves you, and you're just responding to that which you know is being made available to you by creating more space for Him in your life. It is not striving. Are you tracking with me? The application of energy, fasting, praying, pushing yourself in prayer is not striving. It's about where your activity is coming from. Because you look at the life of Jesus, the amount of hours he spent. You look at the life of the disciples, the amount of hours they spent in prayer. I guarantee you, I don't think it's every single moment they were feeling the explosion and, you know, angels showing up and this. Sometimes prayer could just be the faithfulness. There's a, there's a, there's a discipline. There is a delight mode and there's a desire mode. It's like the desire... Uh, you can start with the place of discipline, and it can lead to desire, and then it can lead to delight. Or you can start with a place of desire, then that leads to discipline, then that leads to delight. The times when your prayer life could feel like a discipline, the times when you can enter into the delight, where it's such a joy and such a flow. I don't wake up in the morning every day wanting to pray. So the fact that I don't want to do it does not mean I just say, no, I don't want to do this. So if I do it, I'm striving. How silly is that? <laughs> I need to pray to live. You see, the more, I've seen this from my own life, that if, if I don't spend time, quality time with God, even the times when I feel nothing is going on, if I don't spend quality time with Him, I feel the impact in my flesh because my flesh becomes louder. <laughs> and it's easier for me to be distracted by the enemy because I have not been in His presence and the more I spend time in His presence, the more my faith levels are different. In fact, the other day, some months ago, I sat at the table with my wife. We're going through a hard time. And I just said, Rebecca, my life is miserable. 
Listen, I'm being honest with you. Because the reason why I'm being honest with you is I want you to be, I want you to understand that being a person of prayer does not mean everything is easy. You just get good at killing the flesh. The fact that I said to my wife, my life is, and I was feeling just discouraged by lots of things. Well, a few hours later, I was on top of the world. You know why? Because I had spent some quality time in prayer. The situation hasn't changed. For I have changed. So I know what prayer does to me. So even if you don't come to my prayer meeting, I'm going to still remain a, ma- a person of prayer. Because I'm not doing it for the crowds to come or to impress anyone. I'm doing it to survive and to thrive. There, there is no other way. And you, you're going to have to journey in prayer yourself to discover how it works for you. Otherwise, this just become a sermon. Okay, I said I was going to wrap up. <laughs> Time is gone. Let me finish with this illustration, then we're going to pray. Can I have the band come up? Because we're going to spend the last 30 minutes praying. We're going to climb that mountain by praying in the Spirit and pushing into God. What we're going to do is an activation within you. You know, the Scripture says that out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. As we, leave, as, as we finish this morning session, you've, make some, you've made some commitments to pray. I'm talking you through the practicalities of what would happen or what may happen when you begin to pray and how to identify the flesh and how to push past it. Now, this is going to be my last illustration, and then we're going to pray. Are you with me? Are you with me? When you go to the movies, right, and you watch like a sci-fi movie, you see all the visual effects, and it looks really impressive. I'm a video person. How many people know what I'm talking about? You know, say you watch, I don't know. Black Panther or something. It looks like, you know, really cool and amazing, all the effects. I often like to watch behind the scenes. And if you watch videos that show you what happened behind the scenes, behind the scenes looks completely different to what you saw on the screen in the final production. Behind the scenes, you'll see the actor or the actress in a room that's painted green. It's called the green room. And somehow, uh, they, they put all these, sometimes they put all these dots on them for tracking their movements and all this. So the actor has to believe the director that when he moves his hand like this, what comes out of him is like a sonic boom or something crazy. If you were behind the scenes when that was being filmed, it doesn't feel epic. Because you don't hear the sound effects, and there is no visual effects. But the actor has to believe the director that when the final production is done, in that hand movement came a weapon from him. So because he believes that, he's going to act like he believes it's happening. Even though in the natural while you're there, nothing is happening. Well, welcome to the mystery of prayer and intercession. When you wake up in the morning and you're having your cup of coffee, you feel bored, you feel tired. Okay, Lord, James says we should pray, and here we are. Okay, Lord, I am here. You, as weak as your prayer may feel, listen, your prayer is powerful in the spirit realm. Because when you lifted your hands and you said, Jesus, I want to worship you this day, out of you came like a spiritual sonic boom. That are you with me? That dismantled shackles of darkness in your bedroom. Now, you had no idea we're there. But you didn't feel it and you didn't see it. But from heaven's perspective, the graphic and the visual effects had been added. The sound effects had been added. So heaven could see that chains were shattering and you felt absolutely nothing. 
because all the graphic and all the visual effects is very clear from heaven's perspective. There are times when I'm in prayer meetings, and this is why I think, Lord, I can't wait to get to heaven and watch the playback of this prayer meeting. <laughs> and see, what, because I can, I can feel some significant things happening, but I can't see it yet. But Lord, I can't wait to get back to heaven and see what was really going on when we're contending in prayer. And there are times when that spills over into the natural and you begin to feel things in your body. But the fact that you're not feeling anything in your body does not mean nothing is happening. Your prayer is powerful, even as weak as it feels. That's why the devil doesn't want you to do it. That's why he discourages you, makes you feel like, oh, James is the prayer person, oh, that guy, over there. but your prayer is powerful. And the, I was talking with uh, James and uh, Nigel, and you know, talking about men. Listen, men, we need to rise up and begin to pray. I mean, thank God for women. Women need to rise up and pray too. But men, something is so powerful about the man of the house rising up and establishing spiritual priesthood in the home. The, the enemy does not want men to rise to their spiritual responsibilities. The prayer is not just for your wife. It's, not just, it's for both of you to engage in. And as you begin to do that, you begin to see things shift in your marriage, in your kids, in your family. God begins to bring directives as you pray. Now, I hope as I'm sharing these things, you're feeling stirred in faith for what's going to happen when this meeting is over. Because I remember going to some meetings in America, and I was so stirred up. And this was, this was what I was thinking, Lord, I can't wait to live. I can't wait to get home and pray. And I started to think, I wonder what would happen if we start judging how amazing a Christian gathering is, not by the presence of God we feel in the gathering, but by the desire for God we have when the meeting is over. God is concerned about you digging deep after this meeting. Do you understand with me? For the next 25 minutes or so, we're going to pray. Now, when I asked you earlier, how many of you pray in the Spirit? I saw a few, a few of you uh, put your hands up and said you do that. Um, and I want the band, maybe you can go back into that flow we're in before. Um, I want us to stir our hearts in the spirit of prayer. For some of you, it is, um, hmm, it is like the enemy has been shutting your, you know what? Before we pray, we're going to do this. I'm going to ask a few of you to come forward because I want to pray for people in this room that feel like it's like a muzzle. I don't know what it is. Like It's just like, the, just feel like your voice is being taken from you. So when it's time to pray or time to do engage in spiritual activities, it's like your voice is silenced. It could be fear. It could be uh, just insecurities and ideas in your mind that you know are not of God, but it's shutting you down spiritually. It's shutting you down from being all that God has called you to be. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to come forward. We're going to pray and we're going to speak freedom over you because after that, we're going to go into some moments of us all praying together. It's the work of the enemy that shuts your mouth when you should be speaking God's word. It's the work of the enemy that makes you intimidated and insecure when you should be bold like a lion. Those who are intimate with God will not be intimidated by the devil. So if you're finding things are shutting you down, maybe negative experiences, fear of what people think, you know, all this random, like, 
thoughts that are actually projections from the enemy shutting you down in being who God's called you to do in your spirituality and your devotion I want you to come forward because I want us to pray over you break off every limitation every fear and release you to be the prayer warrior that God has called you to be and those of you not responding can you just begin to pray if you can pray in tongues you know again remember this is not a quiet moment you don't have to be loud boy you have to speak it's very critical that you begin to speak and begin to pray begin to speak freedom over these people responding right now thank you yeah if you can come forward some more please we're gonna climb this mountain today Lord we're gonna ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart every resistance to us going higher we know it's of the enemy so we take a stand against it right now in the name of Jesus and Lord as we respond to you we're declaring that fear intimidation insecurities will not have a hold over our lives anymore 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 those of you responding just cry out to God say Lord I refuse to accept fear whatever it is just name it Lord I refuse to accept this no more I break it all in the name of Jesus I surrender to you Lord my mind is yours my heart is yours my vocal cords are yours have your way in me Jesus those of you in the congregation just begin to pray begin to say over yourself and over those responding freedom reigns in Jesus name freedom reigns in Jesus name I will not be silent anymore I will not be silent anymore I arise as a warrior in prayer I arise to speak forth the word of the Lord I arise to dig deep in the word I arise in the name of Jesus come on just keep praying Father, in the name of Jesus, I break off all fear right now in Jesus' name. Every resistance to the word of the Lord, everything that's hindering her from being that which is called to be Lord, I break it off in Jesus' name. I speak freedom, freedom in the name of Jesus. If you have anyone that you would like to pray for people, you know, because I might struggle to myself just just, just just release them yeah. father in the name of Jesus I break off all limitations over my brother right here and I declare Lord that his voice his sound will be released in the name of Jesus every muscle every so the, uh, KFC leaders Anyone in, in, in some of the prayer groups, the revival prayer groups, we'd love you just to begin to minister uh, to those here laying on hands. The rest of us, let's continue our posture, just praying and pressing into the Lord. Just going to prioritize men with men, women with women, if you possibly can. Every fear and break up, Lord, every resistance. Just press through. I declare life. Just pray for a like few the moments and then pray with. Within begins to flow right now. Come on. We 
you're going to pray with others. Be part of the healing center team. Your right now youth that team or kids team. In the name of you Jesus, pray let your, your life flow, Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. Freedom in Jesus' name. From every yoke of oppression, I break its hold off of you in the name of Jesus. And I declare that the warrior within you begins to rise up right now. Arise, arise, mighty warrior. That you would be like a battle axe in the hand of the Lord. We could just have some of the some of the women just come and pray right at the front. Just press through the stage so you can get to the ones right at the front. And every yoke be broken in the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Freedom in the name of Jesus. Holy fire. Holy ghost. Father, Father, let your fire begins to just flow through her body right now and emotions right now. Let every resistance, every shackle fall off in Jesus' name. Let a voice be released in the name of Jesus, the sound of heaven, the sound of intercession, the sound of prayer, the freedom of the Holy Ghost come, come through from within her in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Lord, I seek freedom right now. I can't contain, I can't control, because I want more of you, God. say those of you not being prayed for and not up here I want you to not just spectate but begin to pray I tell you what helps me a lot closing my eyes forgetting about those around you and just begin if you pray in tongues is a good way to pray right now if you don't pray in tongues that's okay still begin to take what you've heard and begin to just pray that to the Lord ask them to build your stamina ask him to awaken you to to help you to climb the mountain and not be distracted. Ask Him to deliver you from the things that easily distract you in prayer. Ask Him to awaken the warrior within you. Okay, those are the sort of things I want to encourage you to begin to pray right now. Okay, so don't spectate. Engage in this moment, okay? And begin to just press in together with us. For a few moments, we're going to do this. So go for it right now. As the band plays, you begin to pray. Via Capaya, let a bite. Zona Nanavanda Vesutile de Bamba Bayama. 
Come on, lift your voice. Come on, lift your voice. Say, Lord, we want more of you. We choose more. We choose more. We want more. We want more. We ascend the hill of the Lord. We want more. We ascend the hill of the Lord. We push past every distraction. We push past every limitation. Fear and intimidation. No more in Jesus' name. We arise as the army of God. We arise as the church of constant prayer. We release the sound today. The sound of prayer arise from this place. Let incense arise. Let incense arise. Let a voice of intercession arise. Of the 
glory. Alright, now here's what we're going to do. I want the band to keep playing. And I want us to put into practice what we just heard. I can tell some of you are already doing that. There's a stirring going on within you right now. We're going to even ascend higher. Okay, and we're going to do that as some of you might want to sing in the spirit. Okay, we're not singing the song per se, but we're going to push deeper or go higher. And you're going to engage your spirit right now. And you're going to pray in the spirit. You're going to pray in tongues. That's if you do that. Or you're going to sing in the spirit. But our focus is going to be this. Lord, we're pushing deeper into you. Lord, we want more of you. Lord, we will not settle where we have been. We want deeper encounters with you. We want to encounter you in a deeper way. So as the music plays, we are going to pray for the next seven minutes or so, okay? Uninterrupted, okay? No silence. We're all going to engage with this right now, all right? So right now, let's press into this, all right? Go for it right now.
going. Release your prayer. Release your prayer. Keep your eyes focused on the Lord. We ascend the hill of the Lord. We ascend the hill of the Lord. Hallelujah. There is no other way. We have got to have more of you, Father. We have got to have more of you, Holy Spirit. We have got to have more of you, Jesus. because it just breaks off sometimes some of the um, just some cultural limitations let's put it that way and I want us to release a shout and for some of you you're gonna put every frustration you felt in prayer for the last 20 years into that shout for some of you it might just be a shout of Lord I am I'm no longer gonna be limited but the things that have been holding me captive in my spiritual development, my spiritual kind of journey, my pilgrimage, 
in the things of the Spirit. Lord, I am declaring to the heavens, I'm declaring to the atmosphere, enough is enough. This is my season to grow spiritually. This is my season to grow strong in prayer. Some of you, all that you want to put into a shout and say, no more am I going to be a spiritual weakling. I am growing strong in the Spirit. And I'm going to become a warrior in prayer like never before. And I'm receiving the grace of God because it's not by my power. It's not by my might, but it's by the Spirit of God. And this afternoon, He's empowering me afresh. So I break off the shackles of limitations of the culture, of negative experiences, of discouragement, of doubt, of cynicism, of unbelief. I'm breaking that off right now. And all of that you're going to put into a shout right now. Are you ready? Oh, two people are ready. Are you ready? Band, I want you to help me. I'm going to count to three. And we're going to release this shout of freedom. We're saying, Lord, we are arising in this church as a warring army and we will not be silenced 